um, like the whole Jewish Olympic stuff, <laughs> which he of course looked up. He had to look up online. He's like, dude, I can't believe this is real. Morning, guys. How are you? Good. Good. You done building the cabinet over there? Hey, Whatever hey. Whatever you were doing. You know what? You know what? <laughs> all you, all you can just all shove it up your asses as far as I'm concerned. I was, <laughs> I, uh, let me tell you a story. So I was on this big adventure, right? You know, rode a motorcycle up to Seattle and back to Vegas and um, 104 degrees and blah, blah, blah. And then I had this great epic adventure of walking to the bus which conveniently goes to the airport from the Southern command. And uh, I was just dead tired. So the girlfriend gets back early this afternoon. I say, you know, girlfriend, I'm going to go and take it. I'm going to watch midnight run. And I knew I was going to fall asleep. I say, girlfriend, wake me up like at five 30, you know, five 30 is when I got it. You know, I got to wake up and get the thing going and everything. She's okay. Yeah. I'll wake you up. I'll wake you up. So, um, I uh, fall dead asleep. I don't make it more than 10 minutes in a midnight run. And all of a sudden I wake up because the music keeps replaying itself over and over. I look at the watch. It's like 5.50. I'm like, uh, girlfriend, she's sitting right there. She's sitting right there because she's working on accounting stuff. I said, uh, girlfriend, when were you going to wake me up? She's like, what? I'm like, dear, it's 5.50. She's like, oh, yeah, you should get up now. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Thanks, so did you proceed to launch into the midnight run? Fuck, fuck, fucking, 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 no, fucking, no. fucking, 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 <laughs> fucking. TJ, have you seen that movie Midnight Run? It's been a while, man. It's okay. been a while. Not going to lie. All right. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. No, John, you, I mean, I got to imagine it's got to rake up there in your top 10. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I liked about that movie was um, right away in the very beginning of it, the way he picks a lock is actually a real lock tool. Really? A real lock picking tool, yeah. Oh. No, that's that's a great movie. A lot of people say, well, what's your favorite? And I say Midnight Run, and it's, I don't know if it's such a subdued movie or maybe it's not notorious. And, you know, everyone, all of the diehards and this and that. And I say, oh, no, Midnight Run. And they're like, Midnight Run? I'm like, yeah, Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin. And I'm like, well, what, what's it about? I'm like, you just got to watch it. It's a bounty hunter. So, like, what? so even with fuck Trump De Niro, you still mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> I, yeah, it now you had to ruin it for me now. Potential. I, was, I haven't seen the movie in years. I mean, that might be something to talk about is how do we, how do people like us deal with the fact that, um, you know, so much of uh, the art that we like listening to in the movies and stuff, we may not like the people in real life. They, they turn out to be complete opposite of, of that, of the, of the person they portray. I don't know. I just, I rented it for free or I got the DVDs from long ago. I really don't go to movies anymore. I really do not. Even the Bruce Willis movie, um, Death Wish. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't end up seeing it. I, I can't because I, I've gone into it before, but movies are a huge investment. And as I've gotten older, um, the concept of sitting down and watching TV, I can't watch TV anymore. I can't. Not because there's nothing good on. You You could find something that you like, but there is so much other stuff I'd rather be doing. So much other stuff that's more important. Um, I cannot sit and waste. I kind of look at it now like when I was a little kid. Like, oh, my gosh, how did you waste so much time? Uh, but even the movies that I want to go see, I can't because I was just like, no, it's got to be really – like the only one I felt – there are two movies in the most recent past I felt compelled to go see. One was uh, 
uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Affinity Wars. And before that one, it was the um, the new oh British movie. Secret agent kid. He's 12 years old. He's got glasses. The guys with the glasses. The British guys with the glasses, the umbrellas that shoot guns. What was oh, it? Oh, yeah. The Kingsman. Kingsman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are the only, and even Bruce Willis, Willis, who was like, my God, you know, like, oh my God, he's the God Almighty. I, <laughs> I just don't care. I'm like, eh, it's a movie. Oh, I got to get up. I got to go see it. And eh, no, I don't want to see it. But how well, do you, I, back I, to the I, question, I, back to TJ's question, how do you, I mean, I guess from my perspective, it's it's kind of like the liberals and leftists have always existed in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's whether the art itself is leftist, the kind of the way that I look at it. I just went and saw The Incredibles with my family, The Incredibles 2. And I was going into it going, oh, no, it's about the wife being the, sure, woman. the working mom and the dad staying at home. It's going to hit way too close to home here, and it's going to be full of cliches and all that kind of stuff. And it ended up not being that bad. It ended up that's being it, – it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting. So I guess that's how I deal with it is it's more – I mean, if I'm trying to think. Would I go see a De Niro movie now after he's been behaving the way that he's been been behaving? Probably not. But there are other people um, that I know are probably Democrats, but they just don't wear it on their fucking sleeve like some right. of these idiots. I, I think that's the thing. I, I really don't care what their personal views are in their in their private life. Um, and I respect people who are good enough to understand who are mature enough to understand that not everybody shares their views. And that's not why they're famous. They're famous because they're really good at portraying. Uh, they're, they're good at acting. They're good at their craft. And they want to talk about that instead of politics. Um, and I, that, to be honest, I'm not even a big fan of conservative or right wing actors talking about that stuff because i feel like it just distracts from the art um, of what they're doing and i want to be able to enjoy a movie without i I just don't like the politics getting involved in in a movie i enjoy watching movies that kind of go beyond that Uh, because part of the 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 beauty of old hollywood was the escapism you're able to watch a movie and just get away from everything Mm. and 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 i don't know i know kathy's (laughs) No, I agree with it. No, I'm not. I'm I'm 100 with you. Like um, one of my favorite actors, Johnny Depp, uh, which you may not like personally, maybe a leftist and all that. He's a spectacular actor, um, and he has more or less kept his leftist dick out of the movie <laughs> pie. Um, when he, you know, he could play a pirate or what, whatever he wants. Um, and uh, you know, DT, your your namesake there, Kurt Russell, he's a right winger. A lot yep. of these guys, especially the guys on the right, except maybe Clint Eastwood, they they keep to themselves about. Yeah, they don't wear it on their sleeve. No, no, they they don't. They don't. And um, I can I can forgive a Johnny Depp. Robert De Niro is a spectacular actor. I'm sure one of my favorite actors is unfortunately now dead, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm sure he was a lefty, uh-huh. um, but he's dead now, so I guess we'll never know. Uh, for the most part, if you just keep it to yourself, fine. I, you know, and I'm even now because it's the new normal. You know, if, if you got to talk about how much you hate Trump because he's renting that free space in your brain for free for so long, or, <laughs> or you got, it's bothering you that much. Fine. Do it on your own time. I cannot stand a movie where I'm lectured and sermoned. Um, and that's that's what's really put me off. So it, it doesn't even matter if the movie or the actress or the actresses are leftist or rightist. It's just the fear of having a Ghostbusters, feminist Ghostbusters, or a Mad Max feminist, or any other kind. Of, even um, 
what was it? Um, oh, what was the Justice League with Batman and uh, yeah. Wonder Woman? Any of you guys see that one? Yeah, that's no. pretty awful. I didn't. Wasn't that bad? I didn't mind it. I was like, okay, it, it's all. No, I'm sorry, not Justice League. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman was good. I thought Wonder Woman was good. Yeah. Little slow, little drawn out, but a solid build-up movie to establishing the character of Wonder Woman. I thought it was it was a little sappy and oh, this is not right, and I'm in love, and Chris Pratt, you're so happy. <laughs> not Chris Pratt, who is the who is the love interest? Who's the? Yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Chris Pine. Know, Chris, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Yeah. yeah, Chris Pine, the new Captain Kirk. And everything's going great. Everything's going wonderful. And then for whatever reason, they got this Indian, American Indian guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yo, you haven't had your white stolen you from like the white man. I'm like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. you. It's World War One. What in fuck's name? Is an Indian guy talking poly? Fuck you! It's over! It's over! You're like, well, uh, yeah. The his- I this is just me being a historical nerd. I actually know that um, Native Americans were disproportionately put in certain military roles during World War One because they were considered to be very good at uh, like uh, special scouting? forces types. Yeah, they were really they were considered really good at scouting. Um, okay, it was like a, it was a let's make a movie about that. Let's make the and then. You know what? <laughs> You got every right to bitch and whine. You got every right to give a speech about the white man then. Right. <laughs> right. That's usually how it happens, though, is it's some just joke out of nowhere. I mean, you'll be loving the movie, and then all of a sudden, bam, there'll be some joke, and it's like, oh, why would you have to do that? Well, it was like going back to the whole Last Jedi thing, and what's funny is that movie really didn't suffer financially for all the, the, the just total Titanic disaster that it was. Um, but what happened is it it came to impact the solo movie, which from what I understand from people who've, who've actually seen it, actually thought it was a pretty decent film. And so, but it's caused, I, I don't know if you've read, but they basically had some sort of secret meeting in Disney trying to figure out who to replace um, Kennedy with, the, the woman who's been heading up the whole Star Wars thing, and nobody knows what to do because they kind of know that the franchise has been killed. And it's, it was like this weird aftermath where, Last night it comes out, people, everybody goes sees it, smashes, you know, it makes a lot of money. But then it, later on, it starts just killing the, the franchise to where they don't want to make any new, new movies because they, they just, they put such random politics into it instead of just trying to make a good Star Wars film. I think somebody's going to do an edit of The Last Jedi because there's a lot of good stuff there. I actually liked it because I'm sort of a nihilist, so I like the whole. I like the whole, this war never ends. I mean, what's the fucking point? You know, Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. I like all that kind of <laughs> stuff. I, somebody will do an, an edit of that movie. Uh, they'll well, they do They'll do like the cut it should have been. They well, will, they they'll get rid of half the movie. They'll get rid of the whole the whole side quest thing. They'll get rid of that whole thing. And they'll and, and they'll somehow the purple haired lady they'll color her hair <laughs> digitally so that it's not purple. Well, you know, and then it'll be like, hey, it's not too bad. They, they could have made it a great film when they they um, one you you replace some of the actors or actresses, um, and then two you take them to that one planet where it's all gambling and stuff like that. I was half expecting uh, Lando or some sort of Lando Calrissian type character to come in, and that that's where the film could have been actually kind of interesting, where they could have they could have actually salvaged part of this film. But what was funny is if you watch the movie, um, Mark Hamill clearly is just w- walking around like he just hates being there. And he doesn't <laughs> right. want to do it. Oh, yeah, he and what's funny is it's amazing. If, um, 
what's amazing is he was being interviewed when he came out of the movie theater. Somebody was interviewing, like somebody's done this on YouTube where they've done uh, all the recorded uh, transcripts of or, or video clips of him, and they said, "So t- tell us what 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 about this film that we should all know?" And he goes, "It's the longest." <laughs> then one time, then one time he was bad mouthing the film on, during some interview, and he paused and said, "And now I just realized that I'm being recorded." <laughs> I was I was thinking that you know he should have committed. I mean, the only way, in my opinion, to save that film, I mean, I I actually turned it off was for him to commit Sibico with his lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Himself. Wow. Well, he basically did that. <laughs> so, but, all right. But Aaron's point about the movies, I, I agree with. I go to a, like a movie in the theater maybe once every, on average, about once every three years. It's horrible. There's no, I mean, I got shit going on. I have more important crap than to sit there. And it, the movies, it's not that they've gotten so bad, but... The slightest sprinkling of politics. I, I look. I went to church long enough. I don't need to pay money to go to church and get lectured or sermonized about about anything. And what kind of irks me is I I got a a buddy of mine. I don't. DT, you ever meet my buddy Richard Tall Richard? I think so. Yeah. And he's yeah, got the I, two little kids. Yeah, he's got the two. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly. He happens to be a black gentleman. I and he went to see uh, uh, Black Panther, and he's more conservative than I am. I say. Is it worth seeing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was a good movie. And I say, no politics. I'm not going to get like some dildo that's got like vegetable oil, but that he shoved up my ass. And he's like, no, <laughs> How dude, is that it politics was... exactly. <laughs> well, no, and but, but that's my whole point is the left in this sense has completely screwed itself very much in the way that Trump got elected in that they have always shoved politics where it doesn't belong. And they have actually scared away or disgusted or just made guys like me where it's like, you know, there's a chance it's, you know, I'm already on the edge. I'm already on the fence whether I'm going to invest the time and money to go to see this thing. And now you could have a very good movie like Black Panther, which by all means and measures, I guess, is a very good movie. Everybody liked it. And it wasn't political. And I'm like, nope, don't care. Don't care. It, you've already convinced me. And the same thing with the Star Wars movie is um, I don't know if you guys ever listened to uh, oh, what's the name of it? Um, World class bullshitters. You guys ever tune into those guys? I've heard about it. Yeah, you get your geek on, and they're like very experts at Star Wars, and they loathe and detest what uh, Kathleen Schmidt. What's Kathleen uh, Kennedy? Star Wars chick. Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy, yeah, they loathe and detest her, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's enough for me. I'm, I, I figured it out. I'm not going to go see it, and I'm kind of scared. She's been at it for a while, though. My kids were just watching Back to the Future, great Mm -hmm. series, right? Back to the Future, the trilogy. Yeah, and she was a producer on that. I'm like, holy shit! I didn't realize that she was involved in that way back then. So it's not like I don't think she's like a diversity hire. I think she's been at it for a while, but clearly she's not pointed it in the right direction. I think with Star Wars, it was a it was cargo cult thinking where they they got something, they got like that lightning in the the bottle or whatever you call it with the Star Wars films, the original ones, especially with Empire Strikes Back, and then they kept trying to replicate it ever since. And even I think George Lucas didn't realize what made that those films great. Um, and same thing with the Back to the well, I think Back to the Future films were actually done better. What was um, I mean, yeah, if you watch Back to the Future, there's no politics in that those movies either. It's uh. just pure. It's just pure 
almost if nothing else just a philosophical film about you know time travel and the ethics around that and you know whether you should change the past or even when you have knowledge of it. And the fifties were portrayed as great. I mean, you know, yeah. what, you know, what, you know talk about no talk about films that you could have made that would have been fascinating if they had done a Back to the Future remake, and it would have been a legitimate reason to make a remake where you said it in two thousand fifteen, and the kid goes back to nineteen eighty five, and yeah. think about all the changes there. So you could have that. That's an opportunity when you can actually make a good remake and just show. Wow, it's been 30 years since a film about going back 30 years has been, um, or something like that, and and then you could just show how different it is. It'd be a fun way for kids, millennial kids, to to get to know more about their like what their parents were doing in the 80s when they were growing up. Well, they um, sort of did they, that with it. How they changed yeah. it from the book. The book was uh, the kids were in the 50s, and the movie they're in the 80s. Yeah. Really? Like what, car would, what car would they use if they did what? I mean, it's kind of a good idea, TJ. What car would they use to go back to 1985? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Oh. What would be funny is if they went back in time in a really ugly but highly fuel efficient car. Right. And of course, back in the 80s, <laughs> the they're driving Prius. some like they're driving some. Uh, I'm trying to think of an 80s car that was like the, the iconic, but they're, you know, Camaro. But, but, yeah, like well, yeah, I, an IROC. IROC, yeah, yeah, there we go, there we yeah, go. Something like that. That's an eighties car. Yeah, there was that movie. I can't remember it. Uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. It was yeah, really yeah, Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah, it was a really it. stupid film, but I think it, it it was a little crass for my taste. But it really got to the whole eighties uh, stuff. Like they had the Walkman. There was yep. no internet. Uh, there was still the Cold War going. Oh, that's another thing. You know, nowadays the the whole politics of the Russia, like tension with Russia, has completely changed. So. You know, you go back then, it's a completely different group of people worried about the Russians, right? Oh, yep. <laughs> I miss the Russians. That was like a rival. Like we had like we had compet hey, you know what? Yeah, you could you don't have to be salutatory or validatory, but by God, we had to fight the Russians. The Russians are coming in, you better be on your game. Now there's nobody. Nobody keeps this basic level of competition and spirit and and, uh, well, I, I think the, the Democrats, you know, the thing about the 80s was the Democrats liked the Russians back then, you know, because they were communists. Mm-hmm. But now, now that they're nationalists, they hate them. So now there's the whole Russian, Russian conspiracy thing. That's been the weirdest thing to watch in my lifetime, because I, I, I was born right on the, the coattails of the end of the Cold War. So I grew up in the 90s. But I remember reading about that period and how movies like Red Dawn that were having the Russians invade and commit atrocities was considered right wing propaganda because it was by John Millis and all this other stuff. And then you see that the the people um, completely changing in terms of uh, who's, you know, they're talking about Russian meddling in our elections and, and all this other stuff. But it's just it's amazing to see this is the kind of rhetoric we were hearing from the right back in the 50s and 60s. And then, right. the, of course, the left was saying that they were just being scaremongers and there's nothing to worry about and and, and all that other stuff. I, so I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think of another example of where friend enemy flips. So far. And then there was that game that I actually loved playing when I was a kid called Freedom Fighters, which is where uh, you're, a, you're a guerrilla fighter in New York City. You're an American citizen. The Soviets have invaded. And that film was actually or not video game was controversial a little bit, not too much, but. Um, you know, because it was seen as being kind of right wing, which nowadays I, I wonder if they just re-released it with some updated graphics, it'd be bought by a lot of uh, left wingers. What what year was that? Did that come it, out? It came out in two thousand and three. Gorilla Fighter? 
it was called freedom fighters it was about a you, you basically like a third person you know squad based game where you go around and you're um fighting in different boroughs in new york uh but it's about a, a soviet invasion um kind of like red dawn except it's in the city man i I, I missed the Russians for two things. One, you always had the common enemy, like, ah, the Russians, the commies. And then there was always hot Russian communists. <laughs> <laughs> always the hot rush, like, ah. She's Natasha forbidden. on the top, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah she's on forbidden. The on the <laughs> They're bolting. You can't, oh, I can't wait to sleep with the enemy. That'd be naughty. It'd be, it'd be even worse than sleeping with a Catholic, according to my father. Just... <laughs> <laughs> the spy who loved me. <laughs> Stallone you know, is on the Russian thing again. Stallone, the just saw a trailer for Creed Two, the next you know of the Rocky slash Creed really? franchise, wow. and and Apollo Creed's son is oh, going to take on Ivan Drago's son. Oh, yeah. Hey, yep. If he dies, oh, he dies. Dramatic. Wow. Hey, the did Russians you guys are uh, back as bad guys? Rinse, repeat, <laughs> rinse, repeat. <laughs> Uh, did you guys like hear the whole thing? Uh, what was it? Drago was like suicidal up until what about a year or two ago, and then he the come out and he's he's done these. Uh, I think he did a TED talk on but Dolph yeah. Lundgren. You talking about? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, he said, yeah, it was, but he's mowing his lawn so fast. I mean, what's his problem? <laughs> huh? What? <laughs> yeah, the commercial says he's in mowing lawns. <laughs> was daily contemplating like suicide i mean and so he was in this wow. deep depression I, didn't, I never knew about it but uh that was you know that was interesting i, I read a research study we were talking about russia and the u.s and it was saying that during the cold war and having that common enemy actually um w- w- was a, a good thing i mean to to have for competition and to benchmark and things like that and and people they were looking at other wars and other countries that are war, that were at war, and then they would go back and ask after they weren't at war with this common enemy for so many years. People would be like, "Yeah, that was actually a, a pretty good time," even though, of course, there was you know death and and all of that. Right. They said it was really the unifying. Death, yeah. We were really focused, and they kind of camaraderie for it. Is what you what you said? Like, it's kind yeah, of like I'm, well, what, I'm thinking about the Russians. My my memory is when I was really young. Um, uh, I don't know. It was like ten or something when the uh, we beat the Russians at the uh, in the hockey at hockey. the Olympics. Oh yeah, nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was that was uh, that was something. I mean, that, that they made that movie a miracle about that it was a great film. I, re- I remember when I was about that about that same time. There was some kid, like an elementary kid, who wrote to. I don't know who the hell was Gorbachev. He's like, you know, I'd I'd like to come to Russia. I've heard all of these bad things. And of course, Russia rolled out the red carpet and took this kid to like the, you know, every tourist attraction and and made it up. Hot Russian chicks. Probably. (laughs) You know, he's 10 or 12. And I'm, and I'm thinking though, I'm like, cause I was about the same age. I'm like, holy shit. I'd be, I'd be freaked out. I'd be scared to like go over because you know, what would happen and, and, and stuff like this. So I was just like, living on the edge, kind of getting these little feedback. It was like a PBS type thing. They invited this kid over and then showed him all of the great things, you know, the, in, in Russia, then brought him back. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I love the the hunt for red October. I remember. Oh yeah. My dad's, you know, watching, my dad's movie. Oh God. And, and, you know, reading the Sean book. Sean Connery is a Russian. <laughs> yeah. Sean, yeah. And then they just hired guys, you know, who, who kind of looked Russian or spoke some Russian <laughs> to be like I, the Philippines. How do you look you know? Russian? What, what, what's the, like, you got the striped shirt if you're over in the Navy? 
and and so well, yeah, Russians, Russians have a distinct look. They just put them in. They so, but, oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I you know it's funny, David. You mentioned that. I I think that that there's a, a real case to be made for that. That having an enemy, even if you never attack them, but just it gives people an identity and a purpose in life. Like we're we live to, you know, protect our us from that. It's almost like a tribal thing and an extension of. Um, just back in the day, for, you know, centuries, millennia before where constant warfare, you know, even during the medieval times where just battle warfare was ongoing constantly. That's half the reason that they came up with that code of chivalry um, within Europe was to get all these different kingdoms to actually have a, a system where they wouldn't be butchering each other like barbarians. And so I wonder if that's just an extension of that. And so for us to be in a period of such relative peace you know, and I say relatively because there's still conflicts going on in the world, but it's an it's unknown in human history to be to have this m- much of the world at peace where there's not warfare, where we don't have to worry about. You know, like we're looking around right now, and I, I was thinking about this a while ago. Like who is like the th- like who's the how do you separate us from them? And I understand that it's right. not good to do that on one sense because you don't want to like create artificial enemies on that on that way but there's a downside to it and i think that's why everybody really attaches themselves to certain periods in american history where everybody was united because they had a common enemy and common enemies unite people and get them to stop uh fighting over every little thing um kind of like what we saw temporarily after 9 11 where just suddenly uh, you know i think that's the last time we'll ever see that in, in our lifetime where the country just dropped everything and was focused on one thing, and that was, you know, dealing what, with a terrorism. day until they all said George Bush was a war monger. It really started to get bad. I just remember when I was a kid, um, it really started to get bad, you know, during the buildup for the Iraq war. But during the during the initial part of the Afghanistan campaign, um, it was, you know, the country, we just weren't hearing about the kind of stuff. Instead, it was all about, you know, people being patriotic, you know, waving American flags and talking about how great this country is and how we need to you know, just back each other up. And these are well, well TJ, you remember like Pat Tillman, the uh, football player, uh, he was killed in Afghanistan. He gave up like a multi-million yeah. dollar yeah. contract yeah. to Arizona Cardinals. To, yeah. To uh, go, go serve. Um, uh, I think he, think he went special forces. I could be wrong yeah. in that. Someone could look it up for me, but um, you know, people, people like that who, you know, it, it was kind of a throwback to uh, world war II two where um everybody went you know like you know in like korea yeah. and vietnam and everything like that. everybody was like trying to get out of going going off to fight where in world war ii here's an interesting anecdote um most people don't know this jfk um failed the, the reason he went to the navy was he failed the physical to get into the army and uh his father bribed a doctor so he'd get into uh get into the navy mm. right so, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, when uh, Joe Kennedy, you know, his dad, Joe Kennedy Sr., he had, you know, huge amounts of money. He could have got his kids out of it, but he made, sh- you know, he made sure that, uh, you know, Joe fight. Jr. went, you know, and, right. and, and JFK, both of them served in combat. Joe, um, you know, yeah. everybody knows about uh, JFK PT-109, um, you know, and he got that, that's where he got that back injury that haunted him until the day he died. And then um, after yeah, he- Marilyn Monroe took care of him. That, that's, that's what I- <laughs> I'm well, sorry. 
I said, I said, yeah, that poor bastard. And Marilyn Monroe took care of that back injury. That poor oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she it. I don't know. But what interesting thing, that, 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 that interesting enough, him, his winning the award after, you know, he's saving his crew after his ship was torpedoed was the reason that his older brother, Joe, volunteered for, uh, you know, a practical suicide mission, a surveillance mission. Uh, and, you know, he, you know, he was, his plane was lost, presumably shot down. He was never uh, seen from again. And because it was the first time ever that, uh, uh, John outshined his, bro- his older brother, Joe, um, who was apparently 10 times better looking and more charismatic than JFK. Wow. Didn't a lot of those Kennedy boys die. I mean, yeah. there, one there guy is, died in you know, a all plane. except, all except the bad one. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. No shit. Oh, that fucking piece of shit. Yeah, Joe died. Because we all hate women. Yeah, we hate women here. Uh, What was the uh, What was his name? Ted Kennedy. Ted. Ted. Oh, that piece of shit. Yeah, even Um, a brain tumor. Like I was like, would you just fucking die already, you (laughs) piece of shit? Him and McCain. You know, John, you're bringing up a really interesting point that I've thought about when people are talking about um, uh, past politicians or political leaders and whatever. And you go back throughout history. Um, in especially in our country and wherever, where you had political leaders who were who joined um, and took part in on, uh, on the lines fighting, like you know Teddy Roosevelt. I don't agree with a lot of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's politics, but the guy resigned this cushy position in the Navy to go you know uh, fight in the Spanish American War and charged up the San Juan Hill. The guy could have just sat behind a desk, but he was so uh, I would just say fearless. Like the guy had no, not a either he didn't have a a fearful bone in his body or he had an amazing amount of courage but he you know guys who did that kind of stuff and then if you go back throughout history you have guys like julius caesar he wasn't dictating these orders for his legions to go conquer gaul he was there with them um you know life or death he was fighting alongside them uh, against the the gallic tribes and then you see uh, like george washington and these other leaders who who are actual fighters Whereas now, I think the problem is you have a lot of guys who couldn't take a punch to the face without crying, and then they want to be in charge of our foreign policy. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's interesting. I agree also. I had to throw back all the way to Caesar because it's true. Um, uh, uh, Julius Caesar, like um, he, he was, you know, they almost lost the campaign when they had Vercingetorix uh, under yeah. siege at that, uh, you know, that town. The uh, Roman lines were about to collapse until. Uh, uh, Julius Caesar rode out there on his horse and rallied the troops because they were being attacked on both sides. You know, you had the Gauls coming down from the mountain and you had the other ones coming from the other sides. They had them sandwiched in between. They had breaks in their lines. And they saw they saw Julius Caesar out there fighting hand to hand and the, the troops just rallied and saved the day. Right. right. And it, the same thing with – I just – I think that that's also when going back to the whole military service thing. Um, I, I think that that's the other problem problem that our country has had is after world war ii you had a huge um segment of the the population and especially among the male population that had a collective historical experience they had all gone through the same you know maybe they they all hadn't been in combat roles but a lot of them had seen action and so they could relate to one another you know if you if you're a guy who's fought in the pacific and you run into a guy at the bar who who fought at pele lu and you were in okinawa you immediately Within five seconds, you don't have to waste any time getting to know that guy because you already know him because you went through the exact same thing. And I think that's one of the problems that we're also seeing in our society today is people have it takes so much time to get to know somebody because you have so little in common. You didn't go to the same schools. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say when you're done with this, uh, Cappy, I I think this would be a great time for you to jump in with that Bud Buzz Aldrin piece you did where where Buzz 
had a hard time associating with people because they hadn't had the same experiences as, as, as he oh, did. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think that was something um, Cappy did on return of Kings a couple yeah. of years ago, but I think it, it'll blend in really well when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. You just think about, um, I think it's one of the difficulties that people are having now is there's not that national, that's what national identity and national experience gives people is it gives them a sense of cohesion. Whereas now it, it, I think people are just struggling to say, you know, what do I have in common with people around me? But um, we'll segue into what Cappy was going to talk about. Oh, well, I, <clears throat> I, about the only thing I could say is that we have had such a enormous amount of government largesse and economic ease. Now, keep in mind, the economy hasn't been growing. It only grows at about 60% of what it used to. So the economy is slowing down, but we have decided to spend so much money and run up such a deficit that there is no hardship anymore. And especially when it comes to men, it is, I believe it's hardship and perseverance. Like the people I most closely associate, uh, not to sound gay or emotional, but emotionally with the people I, I most um, uh, associate emotionally with and bond with the greatest um, was back during the toughest parts of my days. Uh, and that was work at security. And you guys may all laugh, oh, ha, ha, campus cop. Da, da, da. No, this was hardcore serious shit. We were way more professional oh, yeah. than the vast majority of, of campus cops. out. Or, I'm sorry, but police departments out there, we were working. Sometimes, uh, God almighty, I was doing 100, 110-hour work weeks. Um, we'd have to patrol in the most horrible of weather conditions. Um, this wasn't war. We weren't getting shot at. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there'd be showdowns and you'd be outnumbered, you know, with drunk frat boys or dude bros coming from the bars and all that. So there was this bonding camaraderie hardship. Hardship is, you know, you could even say the same thing. Non-war would be say the great depression. Um, Mm. It's something that you went through and you didn't have to be there with the guy, but you know, I could almost tell you, like if you ever worked at SSD, the security services division over at uh, SSD, uh, over at the U of M, uh, it, uh, unless it got really pansy, which could have happened in, in recent, or you were in the army or you were a cop or you had endured, you know, you could even say Cuban exiles, uh, something that is, you know, oh, I went to a concert. It was great. That's not as bonding as this hardship and this pain, you know, the right. band of brothers type of thing. Uh, not <laughs> right. to put my security experiences anywhere near that, but it, it has to be this pain or this challenge you overcame that you're like, yeah, I went through that hardship, that, that flame, that furnace forged me in a certain way that you also went through and that you can, you can associate with. Um, and then that then would probably lead towards something such as not nationalism, but a, a patriotism or a, a pride right. in your country or something that you went through. Just loyalty, well, some sort. Right? I, I mean, I always, I, I always go back to tribalism. Like that, what you were just talking about reminded me. I have a friend of mine uh, that is a uh, deputy, a King County deputy here, mm-hmm. um, uh, where I live, and he he was a cop briefly, and then he uh, became a lawyer. Very bright guy. And uh, criminal defense attorney, uh, and for years, and then gave had his own practice. I mean, he didn't wasn't just like work for someone else. He was that was his own attorney. Attorney. He had several uh, associates working under him, um, and he, but he still worked part time as a uh, deputy in I don't know some small uh, 
municipality in Washington. I forget where it was. And he gave all that up, did a lateral transfer to, you know, King County where the action is, you know, that's in, that's uh, King County is uh, the Seattle is inside King County. Right. That's where the heroin epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. The heroin. And, um, right. So um, what I was going to say, he gave all that up because he so missed the brotherhood of uh, being in the police department. Uh, he, you know, despite, you know, he was making good cash. He loved what he did. He, you know, I, I, he didn't really like being an attorney. I, I met almost no one who's an attorney that actually enjoys it. Uh, <laughs> attorneys are some of the most miserable. And I used to have to work for these people all the, all the, or work with, they were work with them all the time. They're miserable fucking people for the most part. Um, but, but he just gave all that up because he missed that kind of what you were t what you were just talking about, like that sense of brotherhood, that fraternity, yeah. and that's what's so missing today among men. I mean, that that's kind of why we're doing this, isn't it? Like for the right. younger guys coming up to try to find you know help them out in ways to you know that's one aspect of it is 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 you know finding finding a tribe, finding a brotherhood, finding finding something to, you know, ha you need your baptism in fire, you know, whether it was, you know, working security like you did or, you know, being in the military or, or, or fucking going to high school in the Bronx, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was, you know. I mean, it's, it's vital. It's, it's, um, I didn't, cause you don't realize it at the time. I mean, especially when you're a young kid, you have no context. There's no context. And you also lack the experiences. And, one of the worst things that happened to me is when I was working security, I thought that was normal. Like there would always be, I took them for granted. Like here are these, what in hindsight now was spectacular superior people. I don't know what the selection bias was, but these people were off the charts in terms of IQ, personality, uh, charisma, intelligence, everything. And, and I thought, oh, this is average. This is normal. And that is the number one thing I miss in life. And, and a lot of the reason why I recommend pretty much all my clients, if they're asking about career or something, I say, join the fucking military uh, because you're not, oh, but it's going to suck. I'm going to have to do pushups. I'm like, dude, you're going to be begging and pleading at, at 40, 50, 55 to do pushups with a group of people because that, that camaraderie, that brother just doesn't exist, not anywhere else. And I think men need that because we were through evolution and all that. You need that. I mean, DT, how many times have I tried to get the crew together? I mean, you got your family and your friend. I always give you, I get, I bust your balls for it and whatnot. But how many times are like, hey, we're doing this or hey, we're doing that? And well, it happens often. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, um, if there's one thing I could convey to younger, and this is why TJ, I keep saying, dude, man, go join the National Guard. Or at least your you know, local police force. So, so let's get let's let's talk about that for a second because I've been I, I, it came to mind that um, this is one of the reasons that people have advocated for reinstituting um, the draft or having some sort of required military service like in in Switzerland. And so I got I got two thoughts on that. One, I understand some of the arguments that they're making. They're trying to create um, cohesion. They're trying to create uh, get people to have the kind of experience that we're talking about, where it's going to give people commonality, and I think it would smooth over or at least the, the argument would be that it would smooth over a lot of the tensions in this country because people would then be able to empathize with each other and they wouldn't just be strangers. You know, you'd bring, I mean, kind of like with Band of Brothers, you brought guys from all different walks of life and different parts of the country, and then they suddenly found something in common, so they're going to be more willing to see each other as countrymen. Um, for political reasons, I don't, I don't share the view of having that requirement, but the one thing I would add to that, though, is um, 
the intent is is fine but the politics that are going on right now it's not about that the putting going into those institutions now the purpose of those institutions practically speaking are not for our well-being because they've they're now using them as social experiments um you know the military is not about winning wars anymore it's not about doing all this different stuff they're they're using it to just play around they're basically larping is what they're doing and it's putting men who are able to do the job in danger that's kind of my thought on on that i don't know the problem is we're reading about what's going on in the news i don't know how rampant that stuff is in the military but that's i think one of the things that always dissuaded me from joining is i didn't trust um that the the mission of these institutions would be what what i'd grown up believing they were so well i, I can okay. I, I have a, a a buddy of mine that um he's he's a full colonel in the air force and um he right now is he he it's he he's figured out that he's not gonna he's not gonna make general um there's a lot of politics uh, to get right. to that level to get your star as they call. I mean, even not just to get past lieutenant colonel is is a big deal. And but he's thinking about uh, you know he can retire. He's got like a, within an, another year if he wants to, but he could also stay in for I forget how long. But his his big concern is that he's spent his entire adult life in the military. And, you know, this guy really worked his way on up. He went in as an enlisted guy, you know, and then applied to the academy and all that, you know. He's I mean, a Mustang, you know, eh? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a great guy. You know, I knew him and I've been friends with him since I was in seventh grade. And I'm still friends with him. Actually, just we had a huge uh, – we, we don't get to talk too often because the guy the guy just got back from Syria. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, this guy has been, been – I mean, he's done a lot of shit, man. But um, can't even talk about it half the time. But um, – <laughs> He was saying that his big reservation about leaving, even he, you know, he, he's, he has all jobs lined up. You know, they they sent him to school. He's got his master's degree and all sorts of shit. And plus, the amount of operational experience he has in the military is, you know, I don't know how many wars or conflicts he's been in, but he could make so much more money. But he says, I don't know if I could deal with, you know, the the lack of, you know, the civilian bullshit. You know, I I don't I don't think I could handle it because I'm so program to you know b you know have this sense of there's this fraternal order you know i think well, the only way time. a mandatory service would work well one it depends on who's running the military and that that's that would that would be the you know right. are the democrats running it or are more people right of center running it and it's actually like you're talking about the mission is is clear but i think what would probably happen is that all the leftists would say well it just needs to be some kind of service and so you and maybe this would be a good thing. You'd have all the right leaning people joining the military and then you'd have all the left leaning people like ladling soup at soup kitchens or whatever. And, oh, and kind of divide into our, our, uh, our two little groups like we do already. So so do you, so guys, how about like the CCC, though? So this is one thing, you know, I just got back from South Dakota did wind cave thanks cappy but i remember you know wind cave it at the start it said this was a ccc project but um that was something too where the civil conservation corps you know when it was really the civil conservation corps in the 30s and 40s not the watered down bullshit it is today but um but so there's this vesting i think that's the other part is people don't have a vesting in america they don't they haven't contributed to building part of right. whatever which is uh -huh. infrastructure and that's missing. And I, I actually, I think there's value in that and a great need for that. And people just don't have that vesting. And I actually, the last 
And I, I, I have two short experiences, which kind of get to some left wing stuff on the South Dakota trip, which I think are, are hilarious. Maybe they're not, but um, before the show's done, I just like to talk about quickly, but I get, I just got done literally like an hour ago um, doing concrete, taking out concrete, putting in concrete. And it was just me, it was a three day project, but I was using tools from my great grandfather. So, you know, like old chisels and shit like that. So there was kind of almost this, this, this um, lineal unilateral uh, bonding um, and, and that sweat equity. I mean, it's my own house, my own property and, and stuff like that. Um, but again, I, I think too, you can have some of, some of that where you're linking to your own heritage, even if it's a unilateral experience by, by doing some of these things. Right. But the CCC though, you know, I, I'm going to win that wind cave was just one example. And there's so many, um, you know, around us of CCC projects. Um, I, 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 and we can even tie that back. What if there was some credit that was given to, I mean, if you're default, if you're not paying off your student loans, it's like, well, here, if you enroll and do whatever in CCC, you get some credit go, toward that. I was going to go straight there, Dave. Um, they, they do do that already. I think student loans, okay. if you, if you, it's not for, it's not, as good as you're saying, if you work for government, there's some jobs, if you come out of school and you work for government for a few years, they forgive your debt. And so I think if you took that idea further and had these people actually, you know, go to the national parks and clean them up or go build a trail or go help build another, you know, um, rest, you know, for for bathrooms or whatever, you know, just have them go do something to, to, to get their loans forgiven or whatever. Yeah. But I, I think the problem with like the, like what kind of what TJ was kind of hinting at, I think was that these organizations don't have that same, uh, that same kind of camaraderie anymore because like they're all been invaded by leftists. Like look right. at what's true. Yeah. Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah. Look at the Boy Scouts. They destroyed that. And even the, even in the military, like the, the officer I was telling you about, he, uh, you talking about, they have to deal with the transsexuals now. Um, there's transsexuals have to be admitted to the military. The Supreme court said so. So it's, it's to the point now where, you know, there doesn't really there, we have to, we have to create our own types of organizations because the, the ones that, you know, our fathers and our grandfathers use there, those have been corrupted. Yeah. And they have for a long time. I mean, the submarine, the submariners, the submariners, whatever, you know, uh, guys and girls go on the submarine, they come off uh, pregnant. I mean, it's it, it's it's been happening for a long time. I, I think that yes. that's the existential crisis that that we're facing as men is that all the institutions that we grew up to cherish and and the, the depiction that we had was from another era, and they no longer resemble that. Whether it's the Boy Scouts, whether it's the military, whether it's um, any kind of organization, and so we're faced with a situation where we have to, like John was saying, re- we have to build our own stuff. We got to start from scratch. We we kind of have to establish our own identities or, or spaces because we, we can't go join stuff anymore because I guarantee you if it hasn't happened already it's it's going to happen very very soon and I've seen this with so many organizations that have been wanting to where I was wanting to join but I just saw the signs of of degradation where it was no longer about the mission of or the original purpose it was now changing over to other other kinds of stuff um and so that's the problem with wanting to join the military now, so, the National Guard or whatever. You, you're in a situation where the you, you're going to be put in a situation that causes you to violate. Um, it's not even about the purpose of the military, whether it's to protect American interests or whatever. Like aside from that, but just as a man, you know, where you're in right. a, a situation where 
you're expected to conform to values that go against your own personal code of 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 honor yeah. or virtue. Let me, let me jump let me jump in there. So back so our, the wine the Weinberger doctrine um, defense uh, secretary of defense Casper Weinberger in 1984 created the rules um, for use of the military. Um, and basically it was if there were conditions, but it was basically if we're attacked, because what was happening was Weinberger was seeing that there was a push. Um, CNN went online 24 hours in 1980 and very shortly after we're showing a lot of these humanitarian conflicts. And then the Democrats were um, putting a lot of pressure on the president and then also, you know, the to to have military action to, you know, it, Deliver, interf- problems, yeah. yeah, intervene in these things, and, and Weinberger's like, oh, we don't want to go there, and bas- and it was so manipulated too because they, they would show like one one city in Africa where things were kind of like gone to hell for two days and film it while everything else was good, <laughs> this planet works, but um, but the Weinberger said no, we can only, but they broke that doctrine. They 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 basically it was in place for a little while, and then they went um, and it, and, and mili- the military largely became this humanitarian conduit for all of these things which weren't really authentically happening on this this global widespread scale these were very isolated and we should not have been putting people at risk i mean it should have so so yeah the weinberg is as you were saying um uh tj it was you know casper weinberger in 84 saw this happening saw the military shifting from kind of you know like us largely, you know, the military protecting us against invasion by, you know, Russia or some military action or something like that. To hot becoming... Russian chicks, hot Russian chicks. <laughs> let's let's, let's, let's take the silver lining to that so cloud. Why are we arguing this invasion of hot Russian chicks? I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> it's cappy. But was it? Yeah. Is this like a Rick and Morty? Am I, or are we flipping just, like... Just let me have my dream, Doc. Just let me have my dream. <laughs> oh, I like hot it. Hot Russian <laughs> chicks and heels and AK-47s. Oh, my God. Well, that's what Weinberger was for. <laughs> he had posters up all over open, his open borders office. For cuties. His office pictures were all over his desk like that. <laughs> have you guys not seen this? What Casper no, Weinberger? What? Yeah, totally. Yeah, the guy was, was in the Russian chicks. Well, who was it? <laughs> Name me one guy out there who's like anti-hot Russian chicks. Name me one guy who's like not you know straight and not some fucked in the head left hard that you it's know. I probably the same guy from like Dr. Strangelove who thinks that they're, you know, part of a, a damn it, a communist conspiracy to and purify our precious bodily fluids. Do I have to read a book? What's what's Dr. Strangelove? It's a movie. Is he kidding me? It's a movie? Oh, he's kidding. He's joking. You have not seen Dr. Strangelove? No, I haven't seen Aaron. Oh, my God. I'm hanging out, man. All right. All right. All right. You got to get a television set there. This is my Dr. Strangelove. Is this a book? Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. It was a play. going to spend the time educating you. Look at you guys. They're such young. All you youngsters listening, don't be this guy. We got the guy who just grew pubes last week lecturing me about. <laughs> you mean the guy with the totally pissed out of it? But yeah. <laughs> wow, this is so so condemning and so universal. Now I almost feel like I have to go see this. What what is it about? It's just like Dr. no, we're not telling you. Not you got to watch it, Aaron. Okay, put the effort in. Put the thing in the DVD player and press play. Oh my god! Oh my. <laughs> 
when the doc is like shaking his head, then you know you have to have wow. shame. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I ever I ever tell you guys uh related to like, you know, the camaraderie and there's no camaraderie and well, I guess there's camaraderie in this story, but did you guys ever see the piece where I met a, a Pacific sniper out in South Dakota? Doc, you may have even driven through the town when you're out there, Buffalo Gap, South Dakota, south of Hermosa, south of Rapid. Uh yeah, I I don't know if I drove no, through or not, but no, there was out in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, South Rapid City, on your way down to Hot Springs, there's this little town called Buffalo Gap. And there was this bartender. And ba- Buffalo Gap only has uh, dirt roads. There's no paved roads. And you see a sign, Buffalo Gap. And there's really no reason to go there except they have the monthly barn dance. I mean, you want to talk about old school Americana, this is it. And I've attended the barn dance. And you go there, and it's all people 70 and up. Uh, and they're very happy if you if you show up and you're not their age. Uh, but there's there's a bar in town. Uh, it's called The Bar. And an old man called Lee used to run it. And Lee was in his 90s. Last I saw him, he had an oxygen tank. And um, he had a little bit of trouble with the Indians, which are over on Pine Ridge Reservation, which is kind of down in that area. And right. end up. Uh, thankfully having my gun on me and, and, uh, but other, other locals were around and we made sure that the, there's some drunk Indians there that were harassing him at one time. And, and, uh, we ended up having this conversation and he said, Oh, thanks. And blah, blah, blah. You know, you're a good friend. I'm like, Oh, I helped out this old man. He says, yeah, I used to be a sniper in the Pacific of world war two. I'm like, holy (laughs) shit. This guy's got balls bigger than bowling balls. And I'm like, yeah, I got my little Springfield XD9 pistol here. And uh glad to help you out. But yeah, that that um I'm saying that guy, that guy went through oh, an yeah. experience, you know, and not to belittle the civilian conservation corps or or the uh the Boy Scouts, but I think to have that kind of bonding experience we we're talking about before, it, it can't be this as Chris Beckloff eloquently says, McKinsey and the fuck around gang right. going to help like on a, on a Christian, like all these girls, oh, yeah. like, Christian missions, like we're going to go yeah. help. And that's something that kind of threw me for a loop. I, I remember all these people like, we're going to go on a Christian mission where Los Angeles, it's like, <laughs> what, what the hell? What really Los Angeles? Is that, is there, is there a problem there? Is there starvation? Is there flooding? What's going on have there? To, have you been to LA Cabby? I have been to LA. Um, but these, these people, I mean, I've heard people like quote going on Christian missions to France. Um, yeah, to the Spain. south of France. I would, to- I would love to go. <laughs> they're mostly just vacations. That's, I mean, they're, yeah, they're going on a vacation. Is. I mean, who, what, what, uh, you know, they, these people, oh, I, they don't even know how to use a hammer and they're going down to Mexico to go build right. some orphanage or whatever. Right. The, the orphanage would much rather have the airfare than these idiots yeah. that don't know how to use Civil anything. engineer or plumbing, right? I mean, send some tradesmen down, but yeah, exactly. And that's, that, that's why I love the the phrase McKinsey and the fuck around gang because that's all it is. Swip a little spoiled white girls and white boys. Yeah. Going going to some place where they are probably a burden more. Right. They're going to consume more resources right. than they're going to put in. I, I remember there was this one picture of these girls quote in Africa, um, and they got a uh, they got a busted tire. Well, who's who's fixing the tire? The poor African guy and the girls are just taking a <laughs> selfie. It's like fuck you, get your ass fucking fucking back to Winnetka or Edina or some other fucking the Hamptons. Just get your fucking ass out here and it. It just kind of, and that's that's not going to be this galvanizing, character building, 
experience well, that the horse's camaraderie, but getting shot at or putting yourself in danger or, you know, civilian conservation corps in the olden days, not the fucking Peace Corps, what it is now, but building something in the middle of the desert, like the Hoover Dam, that, that, that definitely. Oh, yeah. You know, Cappy, I actually went on some of those trips that you were talking about back when I was a kid. So Did I you get laid? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the mission trip. <laughs> yeah, did you get laid? Question, Question no. stands. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were. That was not. No, we, no, that was, we oh, that was virtuous no. and moral. Yeah. No, it's just I, I, I see. I saw the problems even then with sending these kids down there because it's almost it. It was there to make. I don't know. I'm I'm trying not to speak for anybody else uh, who might have gone on these things. Please but do. I, we're we're assholes here. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it was just to make the like the kids wanted to feel like they did something good. And yep. my whole thought on that is uh, another thing is these kids are going to areas where life is much, I would either say tougher or just very, very different. And this whole idea that we need to go fix the world's problems is um, I, I think lends itself to the, uh, the other side of the coin where if you can't fix the world's problems, you just bring everybody into your country. The cliche so, that I hear from these kids and, and adults that come back when I used to go to church um, was, oh, we went down there to go change them and they changed us. You know, it's this kind of, <laughs> oh, it's such wow. navel gazing. It just makes me want to vomit that you go down there and some poor starving kid. Oh, he changes your heart. Well, what about the fucking poor starving kid? Well, I yeah. think the problem is they won't just tell kids uh, they, they can't. They don't want to touch the reason, like the adults I'm, I'm talking about here. They don't want to have a discussion. Because think about it, the, when the kids go down there, their initial, their, their their thought is going to be, why are they in such poverty? Why is their country like this? And the adults cannot have a conversation about, right. they don't want to get into economics and say, birth well, control. <laughs> well, That's they, it. I solved they, all of Africa's problem. Right. Birth control. <laughs> Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying they they don't want to talk about the differences in in countries, and so these and they, but they say be appreciative of what you have here in your country. So yeah. they think that that stuff, like all the the wealth that they're they're, I'm assuming their dad has a legitimate job and not a you know a make work job, but it trivializes the wealth that's generated by their parents. So then they go on to high school and college, and they think this money just came out of nowhere, or that more worse, their parents were not responsible at all for the wealth that they enjoy. And so, and, and the, the actions of people who came before them, like they think this stuff just come, it's just it comes from happens. God. It's, it's no, it's happenstance. They think that we just happen to be uh, happen to have this money. And so it's not really ours and they don't understand. They're never really taught about the like economics explains a lot of this stuff, but it, because it's not directly tied to religious stuff, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to say we're going. And, and that, I think that's the other problem is that, we're, we're going to these countries, or at least they send these mission trips down to these countries, not based on theological issues, but based on economic issues. Well, what if these people are actually theologically better off than the people who are going into their countries to try and fix their economic problems? Good they point. usually are. Good point. They right. usually are, actually. I mean, I hate to say, there was, I remember I was listening to one, uh, I don't know if he's a missionary or whatever, but he he had spent a lot of time in Africa, and he said that the, the a lot of these African nations are much more theologically um, I would say traditional or conservative than the missionaries and the mission trips that come over. So they tell them to stop coming. Cause right. like your theology is, <laughs> your theology is awful. It's, it's based on like the whole prosperity gospel thing. Um, yeah. And so they, they like, yeah, guys, your, your whole theory does not work in this country. Good well, stuff does not always happen to good people. It's the back to the hardship thing. I mean, the places where they're going, these people are experiencing true hardship 
and have to be a community to survive right. and have to have a, you know, a cohesion amongst themselves. And so, yeah, they're going to have a leg up on all these spoiled brats to come down there as far as theology or morals or um, even just probably just manners, good manners, being thankful, being grateful. I mean, well, if they're, they're so yeah, I guess it is sort of a training ground. Hey, yeah, we're going to show you. It's the old thing where uh, to get your kid to eat, you go, uh, well, don't you know there's starving kids in China or whatever? I mean, it's like that, but a lot more money to teach that lesson to your kid. Yeah, th- th- these people are also in other countries. They're they're in an area where you're either um, you either are or you aren't. There's no it, it, you can't fake it because there's no incentive to fake it. Because if you claim to believe this kind of stuff, you're going to get shot in the head and be left to die on the side of the road. So there's whereas up here, you know, people can use it. Kind of Cappy's done videos on this, but they can use it as a weapon um, to control people or manipulate people emotionally, and particularly in in dating or whatever. But um, yeah, that's where I just thought, you know, they need to completely change that kind of like the collective experience of getting them to do stuff, but do it in a way that's healthy and that doesn't send them out. Don't send them out there when they're teenagers. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, as far, like you, you know nothing about the world. Like, go work a job. <laughs> right. learn, about, learn about how wealth is created and learn about, you know, why is your country um, economically first world and other countries are third world and it, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. You, Do you think you there's to... anything out there that isn't infected by leftist bullshit? The only thing I can think of, I mean, it's like what we're, we're talking about when things are honest, when there's a clear goal and everybody's pushing in the right direction and we have to achieve this goal because if we don't, we fail. Basically, there's no, you know, there's no, well, we could just do it this way a little bit, let the trannies in and blah, blah, blah. And maybe they'll be able to fight. You know, no, there's nothing. It's it's kind of do or die thing. I'm just wondering if if like and you hear about the politics of NASA and all that. But those are like clear goals. I mean, is that all that's left is pushing out into space and that, you know, the math is the math is what it is. And it's either going to work or it's not. And I think that's, is that the last refuge of like trying to actually accomplish something and it's either you succeed or fail and failure is, is very dramatic and catastrophic. But look what they're doing to math already. They're already saying that logic and reason and math and like math is, uh, yeah, I'm not even quite sure what words they're using now. It's it's sexist. Yeah. It's sexist. Yeah. And so patriarchy. Yeah. I mean, you take that and at some point in the future, I mean, people talk about how the, our military doesn't or our, our country doesn't have anybody to compete against. Well, wait until there's an actual um, conflict, kind of like with France. I mean, think about France in uh, World War One. It was the dominant military power. It was it had a better army than the English. It didn't have the greatest navy. But then you go over to World War Two and it gets defeated as quickly as um, Poland and the Dutch within a month because. They, they just hadn't changed. And I think that that's going to happen to our country. We, we've become so soft, it, like physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, where they just fold over because there's no resistance. They're not, they, they, they don't deal in reality. Like they, they, they don't care. It, it just is kind of amazing how people will ignore reality um, even when it gets in the way of their supposed goals. And I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about so, like social justice warriors goals it it benefits them to acknowledge reality um, in certain areas, but they completely ignore it because if, for whatever reason, it's the same thing with like the math and NASA thing. Well, you're, you're operating uh, not to criticize you because you're young and hopeful and we always <laughs> nice and naive and, 
And you have a soul in the I'm, future. I'm hopeful you will watch Doctor Strange Love this week. All right, I will, but this has nothing to do with that. But, but same thing with with McKinsey and the fuck around gang going to help out the the blacks in Africa or the social justice warriors, all this or this whole make work government thing and all that. You operate from the erroneous premise, and maybe you don't. Uh, but uh, and uh, I'm trying to make everybody listening understand this most conservatives and not even that most non-leftists operate from this erroneous but logical premise like don't we want to solve this problem would we not like to solve poverty in africa would we not like to uh close the wage gap so there's this um critical analysis critical thought uh this this empiricism like yes here's a problem let us go solve it uh, and then you think people operate from this premise and then maybe naively, especially on the left, like, well, just going down there and singing a song to the local natives. Would I have a much darker, not opinion, but fact on humanity, because I know these people are evil scumbags. Um, they're not even going down there on the premise of helping uh, the poor villagers or helping the poor or helping the single mothers or helping close the wage gap, whichever gaps that might be. These are lazy, despicable, evil people. And I do mean that word evil because they have no desire or intention to actually solve the problem. They're going there for their own purpose, uh, purposes and selfish needs. They want to feel good about themselves they don't want to work hard. They don't want to be like a civil engineer like some of us in the in the audience are. They don't want to, you know, or the safe uh, doc, you know, you actually care about you like, hey, let's look up statistics and, and, and whittle down the risk and dangers. Most of us here uh, from a fundamental premise want to go and improve the world. These people put themselves first. And then when they see problems, they will use the military, civilian conservation corps, government spending, yeah. whatever else, so that they can feel good about themselves. But as long as there's no engineering involved or God, let's actually dig a ditch. Let's dig a well, or let's think hard and da, da, da. It, it's, it's never that. So these people, I'd say whether, you know, again, it could be using the military for humanitarian purposes, which it wasn't built for, uh, McKinsey and the fuck around game going to help all the <laughs> poor kids in Uganda. Uh, these people have no intention of helping out these genuinely poor and, and in need souls. They do it because it makes them feel good and they're first world spoiled fucks from the suburbs. Talk and about that's, I gotta, I gotta that's pretty much where I where I you're absolutely right. Talk about the lowest bar. No, Aaron, when you when you said that they're evil, I agree. I mean, they are. I, they're I, evil. I've been like Twitter people. posts about like you know leftists like. And the the way to deal with them is you, they have to be exposed and confronted. I mean, the, the, there's nowhere left to run anymore. Okay, right. from them. I mean, we we we've reached the point where there's no one left to go. I mean, I don't know if we talked on air or something like that. I was talking about moving. Where would I go? There's there's it comes a point where you have to say, you know, this line no further. Okay, um, you know, right. I'm not I'm not backing down anymore. And I think that's what we need. I mean, that, maybe that's the closest thing. Um, in our lifetime that we're going to come to of a problem to uh, unite us that we have to fight against is the evilness of this leftism. Um, and it, and it is evil and it's, it's, it's perpetrated by evil people. And I call them psychotic Democrat filth. That's what I call them. You know, John, just, John, I'm not pulling any punches anymore. They're psychotic, they're Democrats and they're filth. 
<laughs> well, John's point, I think, really hit home for me because I ended up moving from the and now part of that was just uh, ideal opportunity to own a house. Um, I definitely wasn't going to be able to buy one in the Seattle area, but I also saw it as escaping uh, the problems there. But the problem is that a lot of those issues are coming over to my area, but also, uh, yeah, the, you, where where is there to go? You can't. We we can't be all be. Um, the guy alone in the wilderness uh, in his shack. And even then, I promise you, there would be a pioneer of these people coming up to where you live just so that they could bring their their views. Uh, and ex- like the idea of somebody being outside of their control is is beyond them. It's they will they will go to areas that they claim they hate just to expose the people to that that kind of right. so they're I missionaries <laughs> yeah, they're, no 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 it's yeah, not i don't think that that's an exaggeration in any way they do see themselves as missionaries yep. um in that sense that they will dedicate their lives to the purpose of um basically over their lifetime getting people exposed to these views and changing like the society and the culture and i think that i i've been thinking about a lot of what do we do um because one we have no power uh, so to speak when you compare to other people um like political power nobody i would say really represents us in the political realm or any kind of major institutions right, right. i think that the options i mean we can hope that somebody won't hate us or want to persecute us or be overtly hostile to us at best they're going to be neutral um or they're, they'll occasionally uh do something that's good for us that for whatever reason serves a political purpose i think that our attention should be on um one doing the best with our personal lives that we can so that we can help out other people who are like-minded but may not have the same knowledge or resources kind of like what this podcast is about trying to help people figure out um, how to take care of their own lives and live live some sort of meaningful life uh in a in a world where if you follow the status quo you're going to end up miserable and addicted to opioids or suicidal or just going the way that everybody else is going and it's not a a good way it's not what we're about. But you, you um, again, TJ, this is, it's why in part I have you on, why I like you is because like, I see a lot of youth and innocence and I'm not picking on it because you're younger than me. I, I, you, you have this idealism. You operate from the premise that they're like missionaries, that they actually believe in their things. And somebody put it best to me about the left. They're either devils or dupes. And I'm increasingly yeah. of the opinion that these people are more devils. Now we all know a good Democrat who has an honest soul they're typically union Democrats. I don't know if you guys know Mary Jo. She's on the Facebook and we banter back and forth. And we give each other shit. And she's a Democrat. Why? Because she hasn't gotten past. Well, they're for the little people. So, and I yeah. sent her for Christmas. Do you guys know what I sent her for Christmas in the mail? Probably wasn't Dr. Strangelove. No, it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I just want to her- give a quick shout out to uh, Charles Mack in the uh, chat who you know says hello to all of us. He's just Good. joining us now. Thank you. Thank you for Charles. You are Steele's own Charles Mack. <laughs> I sent her a copy of the federal budget because it's like you're you're not living in math. You're not living in the real and her, her boyfriend <laughs> thought it was hilarious. He thought it was just absolutely hilarious. Did you actually send her like the thousands of pages? No, no, no. Oh, I sent like the abbreviated. No, no. I sent PDF. The, no, I, I like printed it off. I think it was like, you know, the like two pages if that, and, but, but I did put the I put it in a very nice red envelope with a gold sticker on the back. It looked very Christmassy. <laughs> so she thought, oh, I'm going to get something good. Like, yeah, here's the federal budget, you fucking Democrat. <laughs> wow. Well, the question that John was posing was, what's the hill to die on? And that's that's how I phrase it is, 
with there's all kinds of problems out there <clears throat> and libertarians are notorious for turning molehills into mountains right oh i mean they're God, they're, they're willing to die on their little molehill of privatizing police or something and just you know but what you know and from practically speaking we want to enjoy our life you know i've got kids i've got a family i want to enjoy my life what is that you were talking about the line that you don't you know this far no farther what is that hill to die on and the nearest i can come to is if they ever come for the guns, that's the hill to die on because then yeah. we truly are powerless. I right, mean, that's but, but sort of the last before, line. Before it gets there, what I want to do is get people on the right. Because you remember, DT, when I went and I talked to those Republicans, they are so far behind. They are so far removed from the front lines. I, what I want to do is get people, and, and TJ highlights this example, is we give them this undeserved positive assumption that they want to help out. Whereas most leftists, I'm completely convinced now, they are lazy and they want to live off of you. They're not going to spread, like when Californians move into your town, start voting left, they don't do that because they think they have some kind of moral religion that they're spreading like Christianity. They want free shit, period. The dreamers coming into this country, the dreamers coming into this country don't come here because, oh, it's dreaming and I want to be. They want free shit. I, Everybody I, overthinks these people. Everybody thinks they're like high IQs of 125 and above. They're not. They're parasites. They're humans. They're common IQs of like 85 to 100. They want free shit. I have, to dis- I have to disagree, or at least I think that there's some nuance to this. And I was talking about this in, in my podcast um, this week. I think that what's driving a lot of the political crusades and, and just the, sh- the sheer intensity and uh, uh, zealotry is the fact that we're one of the few societies in the world that has like there everybody a lot of people would describe themselves as spiritual but they're not religious they don't adhere to any traditional religion and traditional religions with and i'm not talking about just christianity i'm talking about islam um it, the pagan religions like with the romans and the greeks and all that stuff they all had a belief in an afterlife and the belief that what you did in this life had an effect on your life in the next and that death wasn't the end of it well most people today i think genuinely do not believe that there's anything beyond this this life whether they say that they're spiritual or whatever and so their only paradise is going to be for them will be in this world. And that's why there's so much of this, this, this sheer, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but the hopelessness that's driving much of them, because if they can't fulfill their vision for the world within their lifetime, it's going to be the end. Like there's, they, they feel like they're operating on a limited time structure. And that's why there's such, you know, whether it's uh, global warming or whether it's solving poverty or if it's all this right. stuff, it's, it's driving them because they don't, have hope they, they don't believe that they're gonna when they die they're gonna go to somewhere There's, else and they also don't believe that when they do something in this life they're gonna be rewarded for it in the next life and, and tj to build off of that there's um there's another way to look at that and and i think right now you know lifespans have what doubled in the last 150 years and and i was talking to um some cryogenic scientists and they were saying you know it in in their perspective it wasn't going to be that far off 50 100 years when people would have the choice if they had the money to basically live you know 3 4 500 years you just could have body parts interchanged out and things like that um and actually from we had a deep discussion and what they were saying is they were they were all for that but they also said you know, this is going to create a complete loss of agency and purpose because, you know, most think about it. I mean, people would work for, you know, you go to 
school or whatever, you'd get out, you'd work for 30, 40 years and you retire. Well, now what if, you know, you, you're 25 years old and, and you've got 300 years ahead of you, it's, it becomes this reverse hopelessness and this yeah. fact that you could live forever. Um, and they said, it's actually, you know, it, it is kind of like this almost singularity type timeline, it's not 2042, but I mean, further out, but we will hit it where if you do have the money, these things would be possible and it's creating this, why go to church and why do these things, you know, if the if likelihood is I'm going to live forever. And what's funny is, uh, is, is George Soros um, from, I assume most people know who he is and I'm going to talk about him in a, as much of a dispassionate manner as possible. But this, this was a guy, he's a Hungarian, he was um, Jewish and he's admitted in the past that he, collaborated with the Nazis during World War II and basically sold out his Jewish Jewish neighbors uh, to save his own skins. Well, now that he's about to die, he's been apparently, um, if I read correctly, trying to repair his reputation um, uh, in in uh, after the fact, in retrospect. Too and late this, now. Yeah, well, it's too late now. But I think, you know, this is a guy who's a billionaire and who um, shouldn't care but I think the other thing is that he's confronting this this existential crisis, as as you would might describe it. He's going to die, but I think the question is he's also not taking anything with him, like none of his money. He's going to. That's another thing that I think that people are dealing with is they don't take any of the stuff that they have with them, and you know maybe the, the, he should become a Viking, right, and just bury it. Right. All. Well, that's <laughs> you know it's no yeah. no the Vikings are another example of a group of people who believed in an afterlife and believed that their actions in this life corresponded to the next life. And um, money and, and the, yeah, like the Greeks and the Romans would put money, you know, coins in the eyes of the dead because they had to pay the toll to cross the river Styx. And with the Vikings, you would you would burn all that stuff. With the Egyptians, they would bury the kings and the royalty with their stuff because they believed that you needed that to to have them go into the next life. So this all it creates a sense of in in death that it's just it's not the end. Like it's just part of a transition into another life, and. Uh, if you don't believe that, it causes you to become very fanatical about what you're doing in this life in, in a sense of urgency. And it, Outstanding observation. <laughs> Go on, yeah. TJ. No, I was just pointing. It was outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I just was noting that. But if you notice also these people are miserable and you, and you talk about why they're miserable. And I think that there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I think one of them is that they just have no hope. They don't have hope in in anything. I mean – and, yeah, and I think hope and goals is another thing. I mean, put those two together. Hope, they yeah. don't have hope. And the other one is they don't set any goals, any type yeah. of goals for anything, even if it's going to be like, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail or whatever the hell it is. But all of that's off the table and it starts, TJ, as you said, because they don't have hope. So if you don't have hope, screw it. I'm not going to set any goals for myself. Right. And it's funny, DT, you were talking about libertarianism because I was thinking the exact same thing. I've been, I have to be careful with, with generalizing because I, I would, I don't want to say I identify as a libertarian, um, but I, I agree with the philosophy. But as a movement, it had a lot of potential to influence um, the the political narrative in this country. But unfortunately, they just it's almost like these guys. It's like Cappy and I were talking about in a previous podcast where you have a lot of hipsters um, people. It's it's for a lot of these people. It's a hipster movement where you just sit back and be ironic about the different fights that are going on. That you don't, yeah, you're rebellious. You can be rebellious. Yeah, you're rebellious. <laughs> and, and they always like to be able to disavow 
uh, being either on the left or the right, right. they love to yeah. say it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter which boot is on your neck and all, and all that other stuff. But they also love to They're talk. They're very impractical, about, very impractical in their yeah, thinking. I think that's the other As problem. a former libertarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I I'm, we're probably agree on stuff. Like I, in they love to talk about hypothetical situations and then that's what they adopt their view on. Um, particularly with borders and immigration, where they'll say, well, in this society, this is the way it should be. Well, great. We don't live in that society. Right, exactly. Uh, they, they, don't, yeah. they, don't, um, uh, they don't acknowledge, and I'm generalizing here. There's guys there's like- priorities. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, there's guys like Tom Woods. I would definitely describe him as a, as a real, not a realist, but I, I'm not, this is not applying to guys like him or to uh, guys at the Mises Institute, Jeff Dyson, all those other guys. I think those are, those are good guys. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm talking. I'm thinking more of like the Libertarian Party and and uh, the mainstream Beltway DC Libertarians, where they 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 talk about stuff um, that is not. They, they, it's like they don't really want to be. Real, they don't want to solve the problem. They just love to take a position that doesn't put them in any moral conundrum. Because I think they just want to be right. They've got their philosophy figured out down to the finest detail. And that's where I use the example of, you know, privatizing the police forces. You can, as a libertarian, you can talk about very big issues and make some great points about liberty and about small government and about privatization and all those things. But they'll, they're willing to carry the argument all the way down to your local fire department or whatever. And it's, and that's where they lose people is that you don't first things first, let's, let's solve the big problems first right. before we start, you know, hiring Halliburton to be your local well, fire department. <laughs> so or here's the so. other problem. I was going to talk about this on my podcast, but I figured I might as well bring it up here now. Hey, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that'll be my last statement. I got to get going. So it was good talking to your brothers and have a great rest of the conversation. See you, deep Say I did Bert and Ernie for me. I will. I will. <laughs> Ernie and Bert. Yeah. Um, one of the problems, and this is, I think, with everybody, not just uh, libertarians, is that we've substituted personal virtue with ideological purity. So if you, you instead of developing good uh, personal virtues like courage, loyalty, duty, self-sacrifice, self-restraint, um, patience, and all these other things, people adopt views and then just say that they, they believe this. And that doesn't require any discipline to obtain. You just have to say it. Um, you, virtue you to, signaling. That's all it is. Yeah. It, virtue, you know, in that words, terms getting overused a lot, but they say they do it to virtue signal. Look at how righteous I am for holding this view instead of, uh, instead of talking about stuff, just going out and doing stuff and virtue signaling yeah. doesn't require you to do anything. It's a very lazy way to, um, uh, you know, right. That's, that's my whole point about these are evil people. I don't think it's even, but I don't even think it's evil, evil people. It goes back to what we were talking about early in this podcast. People have such don't, they have such little in common with each other. They have to spend a lot of time getting to know the other person. And one right. of the ways you do that now is by virtue signaling saying, well, this is what I believe. And this is what I stand for. This is why people are on Facebook constantly posting memes and political statements and all this other stuff, because it's, it's like they, that's all they have because we can't talk about other stuff. We can't talk about the fact that, uh, cause I Russian will tolerate hot, <laughs> you know, if a, if a person has a good code of personal conduct, I really am not terribly interested in their, like whether they have the exact same views on, on certain political issues. I just don't care because that's not relevant um, to me. 
if, if somebody's trustworthy, reliable, dependable, he keeps his word. He has a very strong sense of honor where he cares about what other men who he respects think of him. I, I really don't care what his politics are. Um, and chances are his politics are probably going to be a little bit more aligned with me. But if he doesn't share the exact same views on, say, foreign policy or or the war on drugs or immigration reports, it's like, I really don't care because that's that shouldn't be how we measure uh, and form friendships and, and camaraderie should not be based on uh, our, our policy stances. It should be based on how we treat one another. Well, good luck finding people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think but that's a lesson I would say for, for the younger gents who may be tuning in is that spend less time trying to figure out what the proper views are on a political issue and focus more on improving yourself uh, through, you know, reading, you know, classical Roman literature like Cicero or Tacitus or something like that, where they taught the Stoics, where you improve yourself as a man, rather than spending hours trying to figure out what the appropriate moral stance is on an issue that you have no power to change. And you probably don't have all the facts because uh, we're, we're uh, most of the information that's relevant is, is kept from us. I, I, I am going to be writing a post one of these days about the amount of time wasted predominantly on the left obsessing about Donald Trump. Like if I'm, I'm trying to figure out a statistical mathematical uh, methodology to measure the number of human hours, human years that is wasted by leftists hating on Trump on social media every day. But at the same time, uh, I want to criticize people on the right who also waste that amount of time. Uh, Barack Obama. But, but you, well, or Barack Obama, or just in general, in general, because it, it, it's pointless to discuss it. Like if you can move, if you can make the jump from politics to philosophy or politics to economics or history, uh, you've made a huge advancement in your life. Um, but like I said, that that's for that's for another day. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's and that's kind of I mean not one of the purposes of this podcast, but certainly one of those things. Like yeah, young boys out there, if you guys are and girls, all three of you that might be listening, um, your life is too damn short to be engaged in this political stuff uh, to yeah. the extent that your your forefathers are right now. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, young, young people don't worry about. I would, I would like to say to shout out to people in the chat. If you got any questions uh, now that you want to ask any of us, uh, post them in there. I'll read them out. Yeah, let's let's do that. I did before we before we uh, we switch here. I did want to ask Doc about his trip to South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, because you, that that sound was it as fun as I hoped it would yeah, be. It was it was fun, and and we had uh, one day it was 105. The day we went up to Mount Rushmore, another day we went to spearfish 55 degrees, so 60 degrees. You're degrees. kidding? No, I'm not. <laughs> but you know, but actually the weather didn't suck. It, although, like, um, I'm up in the hotel room on the 55 degree day. We go to spearfish, and it had rained the night before. My wife and daughter they go down to the car, and I don't know what the hell it was wrapping something up. Um, and my my phone rings, and it's my wife, and I'm like, oh, what the hell? And she's like, hey, you left your window open. And lastly, I'm like, god damn it. So I had to bring down, like, you know, a couple towels and, like, wipe the seat off and the dash and everything. And it was fine, but I was like, how in the hell? But it's because it was 105, and, you know, it's Rapid City, so it's not like downtown Los Angeles where you leave your windows down and cars gone. But um, Or Seattle, right? <laughs> but um, but anyway, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, you, you talk about politics. So we were at Custer Park and Custer had the massive fire in December, which I didn't know about. But, you know, substantial parts of the park burned. And what happens is they they let most of their firefighting force go 
because they're only there during kind of the peak season. And they went to Southern California where they had fire. So they couldn't really get the fire force together, the equipment. And so a lot of this shit was burned and a lot of the pines and stuff like that. Um, but there was this older couple, I'd say probably in their, probably in their eighties pull up and, um, that we make conversation where it, where at one of the, the parts where we're, you know, taking pictures of scenery, watching the, the bison and stuff like that. And the guy says, yeah, you know, where, where are you from? And I said, uh, right outside Madison, Wisconsin, he kind of pulls back and he's like, Oh, like leftist politics. Right. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not into all that shit. I'm like, I'm, that's not my views and everything. And so it was kind of weird, you know, but we got past, past that quick. And then he's like, you know, you ever been to Mitchell in the corn palace? And I'm like, yeah, he's like 65 years ago, I played high school basketball there. And he's like, we used to tell people like that we, we were going to burn it down. Like tourists would come and we'd sit outside and say like, Hey, we're going to better glad you came today. Cause we're burning it down tomorrow and just all this goofy shit. But, um, I've got, I, I had two things that happened out there, which kind of, I, I thought were kind of like, I don't know, pa- weird patriotism kind of, um, infringed upon, I'm going to, I'm going to give the stories. The first one, we went to Mount Rushmore on flag day and they had down below, they have an amphitheater um, and they had this big flag and all of these chairs set up. So something was going on and there's a park ranger behind me and it was like, I don't know, 20 minutes to nine or something. And he gets a call on his radio and the guy's like standing right behind me and they call down below and they're like, only half the people showed up for their citizen. Um, they, they were all going to be, come to U.S. citizens during the ceremony. So they had maybe like three, 400 chairs set up down below and it was very formal. And, and this person, this ranger is like, well, what the hell? I mean, he's really kind of pissed. He's like, where are these people? Like this, they're becoming citizens today. And literally like the thing starts and more than half these seats are empty. And we're talking, it was nice morning. It was easy to get there, you know? Um, and, I was, I was really pissed because, um, and you could, this guy was pissed. He was steamed and, um, you know, said a chairs. That's gotta be taking some time. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but here it is. I mean, you, you become a citizen. Okay. And I don't know, maybe this is like some ceremony after the fact. So, you know, it's like you already signed the wedding, you know, certificate and then the marriage ceremonies just pop and circumstance. But um, but anyway, it pissed me off. It, it really irritated me because I'm like, damn it. Like I would have got here two days early. Like if I'm from, you know, Lebanon or wherever the hell and I'm becoming a U.S. citizen and I had made this reservation and this was, this guy was very elaborate. Like he's talking back to this one person down below and he's like, these people should have been here and this is irresponsible. And I'm just like, right on. I mean, there's no excuse for half these people just to blow off the ceremony that apparently you had to make this reservation for and all of this to recognize your citizenship and, and all these people are watching. And so that left a bad taste in my mouth. And, well, then, and, and here's not to interrupt, but pissed me off. In, in front of Mount Rushmore, like of all places it in was, the United it, States it to become was, a citizen. I know. And by the way, my, my, my oldest daughter, who's 11, um, I had her convinced and still do that. Teddy Roosevelt is Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, what? so I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, here's the four presidents. I'm like, it's Dwight Eisenhower. So, um, and wait, so hold on, hold on, hold on, hang on, wait. She, you just slid that one in there. Yeah, she I just, I just slid that in, and then I also said, I also said, I'm like, you know, the workers. I'm like, it's kind of like Hoover Dam, and she's really sharp on this, this stuff. But I, but you know, I tell it like just straight off. I'm like, when they built this thing, like when you're down blasting the rock, you couldn't go up to use the bathroom, so you used to have to piss off of like Lincoln's nose or something like that. <laughs> <or stuff. laughs> and I'm like, you know, so, but um, 
I said, so these, these, it's not as glamorous as what it seems and, and all of that stuff. So, Did you know, all these stories. <laughs> yeah. And I think a couple of people around us heard that story. That makes sense. So that story probably made its way back to like Vermont or something and shared it some, some VFW meeting or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So, so anyway, that pissed me off because I was, I was just like, damn it. I mean, obviously there was this, this, this commitment to you being there, you, you blew it off. Um, and a beautiful day and what, a, what better place to, to do. Like I, I, if this was me coming to another country, like I would have been there two days in advance, set five alarms, had somebody call me like, you know, got there super early. So that, I don't know that had a bad feel, but we, we did, we did, um, to switch gears. We went to wind cave, which was awesome. Um, now help me out. Is Wind Cave the one by Hot Springs or past Custer? By, by, it's 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 past um, Custer a little bit. Wind Cave, Jewel, Jewel Cave is the one out west. Okay, you're in Wind Cave. That's in between Custer and um, and Hot Springs. All right, yeah. So Atham looked that up. Southern Black. Yeah. Okay, we got it. All right. So so I mean so we do the we do the tour and the tour guide is is um, from I think it was from Puerto Rico. He he was a really nice guy. Super. Um, a lot of energy is going through, but, but was tying all of this into kind of this leftist narrative, this whole thing of like, okay, we're going to start out. So here's our leader. Here's our person in the back. We'll all stay together. We have to work as a team and all of this. And like, okay, I get all this shit. Like, it's good. But then he kept like, we, every time we stopped, like there's three stops in there, he would reinforce this of how we have to be a community and communities overcome. Like, Jesus Christ, like, let's just keep going. Like I have to, you know, things, what only five four foot tall in some places like my back is sore. But anyway, we get to the end and before he takes us over to the area that has the elevators so we can get out. So we don't, we don't know that exists. He gives this like five minute talk on like how unity and everyone has to be together and all of this and welcoming and all this. It was okay for the first minute. And then I was like, Oh dude, like now you've, you've just turned this into some like sermon, like some personal and, and, you know, that all this cohesion is, is wonderful and a society and all of these things. And, and yeah, I get where you're going, but like, I just want to get out at this point. Um, so that was, that was definitely something I'm sure wasn't in the script. Um, Did you tell you know, him to shut up? That, that he went off on and there, and I'll tell you, there was, there was a boy and he was the coolest, coolest kid. He had autism and he was right behind me in line, which is probably a good thing. Cause I would always like kind of let him know what was happening. And this kid like do every fact about this and then he was like just quizzing the 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 tour guide like quizzing the hell out of this guy <laughs> so I, I love this kid this kid was just this kid was just autism uh, with autism was 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 just awesome really really nice and then somebody took down like a three-year-old and did all of the steps and stuff and the kid's like i don't want to be here i want to get out and i'm like well, why the hell would you do that but so yeah it, it was great i thought um dead deadwood was a lot more commercialized than you know what what I expected, and um, so I mean we we did do do the walkthrough. They had some ceremony going on, and um, so yeah, sixteen uh, A was very was very scenic. Good, um, you did that with the loopy loos and up on the bridges and everything. Yeah, yeah, we we did, and that was that was really awesome. Um, and um, yeah, my, we we went to this alpaca ranch in. In Caputa, okay, so it's 15, ten miles, ten miles outside. So my daughters wanted to go to this thing, but actually, it was really cool because we get there and it's a little bit later in the day, 
And uh, the guy that runs it, Glenn, is like, he's retired and he was, I don't know if he was like a physician's assistant or whatever. So he's probably like 60 years old and super cool guy has this ranch. We're the only ones there. And it's kind of like that, that man bond thing where like checks you out and he's like, yeah, okay. Like I'm going to give you the tour that I wouldn't give everybody else. So he takes us out onto the, the actual pasture. Let's the, my wife and the kids go off with the alpacas and he's kind of hanging out by me and we're just talking about like the irrigation system. Cause I'm like, how does this work? He's like, well, it's this whole ditch, you know, they turn this water on at certain times and, and then they turn it off. And then we're talking about rattlesnakes. And he's like, yeah, I only had one. It was in the garage. And then like his place had burned down a couple of years ago. And he's talking about fire response. And I'm like, yeah, I was a firefighter. I'm like, must be bitch to, you know, get response out here because everything's volunteer. So like we had this, this commonality, just kind of this man talk while my wife and kids are off with the, you know, and he's here to take the, you know, they had the feed and all of that, which was pretty cool. But, um, but that was, that was really, uh, that was really neat. And that's kind of one of those things where you cherish those conversations like that, that 20 minutes of conversation with Glenn, I even remember his name was, was so valuable to me because you just don't have those opportunities in life anymore just to sit and to have conversations like that. Um, so I out there, there's, there's a lot of people out there and that's like, uh, now the commander of the VFW, he, he got promoted, uh, in hot springs. Uh, his name was Willie and he was a Creole, uh, war, uh not world war two, uh, uh, Vietnam veteran. And you could chit chat with him. And then, um, Lee, the bar, former bartender, but yeah, no, there's still real people out there. You can have a great conversation. Well, I found, yeah, I, I did find, I mean, the, the people we, everybody we interacted with, it was funny because we stayed what the hell was it at a holiday in in rapid city has been built out so much since I was there 20 years ago. And I was looking at the pattern on the floor and uh, I kind of recognized it. And then I went down later to mail some postcards and shit like that. And then I saw the, the people at the front desk. I'm like, do you know what this image is? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, this is the chandelier that hangs at the New York Met in um, New York at the metropolitan theater, like the opera. This, this is the actual, this is the, it's all done in the carpet. Like that's what this design is. And they had no fucking idea and they didn't care anyway. But, um, but I'm like, there's your trivia point, you know? Uh, so <laughs> no, it was, it was, a, it was really, um, it was a great time. It was a lot of uh, driving. I'd yeah, imagine. I mean, I mean, it was, it's not a short genre. No, and then going through Custer, there. going through Custer. And my, I, I've got a, um, I've got a Buick LaCrosse. So that thing handles pretty well. But uh, I saw somebody driving through Custer, you know, where it's got the one lane bridges and then the, the oh, tunnels. Yeah. And, and somebody was had a pickup truck near pulling a huge RV. The engine was smoking. <laughs> and, uh, and not like antifreeze because we passed them and, and I could smell it for like, you know, another quarter mile. I'm like, that's that's oil. I'm like, and here was another thing. We're going through Custer and uh, there's a Humvee blocking off one of the roads. And there's two guys with uh, rifles out in front of this Humvee. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what the hell's going on. So we drive down a little bit further and I don't hear anything, but I look over to my right and there's two black helicopters, not far at all from us. And they're flying super slow in formation down. And so like, these are black op helicopters. So there's some drill and some shit going on, but I'm telling my wife, I'm like, don't take pictures. Like I know, I know <laughs> some of this from the other side of how some of the business that I do and some of that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> Don't aim the camera up and do anything like that. And then the, the, the weirdest thing, not the weirdest thing, but on the way out there, I had a call from the New York Daily News because um, in Pennsylvania, they had these, these state grants. And they're all over the place now for school safety funding. This is where I'm 
on a different side of safety funding than almost everybody else in the world, it seems. Um, and that's why I get called by like the New York Daily News and stuff like that, because they know I'm going to give them the the right side, not critical the right analysis. Side. Right. So basically they said, you know, there, there's all these grants that are coming out for like, you know, spot shotters and schools, you know, to, and all of this with, you know, clotting agents and whatever the hell and, and all this award. And so like, what do you think about this? And first of all, she's like, you know, I hope I, I'm like, you know, interrupt you. I'm traveling. I'm like, no, we're at a restaurant. Really, like I was like at a rest station. I almost pissed myself in the bathroom because like the stall was like, it's like trying to pee like up. TMI, TMI. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm like, I don't know how tall these people are out there, but I mean, I'm like six <laughs> foot. I'm like, this, this urinal is like nine foot up on the wall. But anyway, um, so yeah, she's like. What do you think about this? So I'm in the car because it's too windy outside to like do this call and I'm not going to like do it. So my kids can hear this too and stuff. I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm like, this whole thing is wrong. Here's what's wrong about it. This is, you know, it's against the second amendment. This is all just hype. None of this will ever work. Like this is just a waste of dollars. Like all this is is waste. This clever marketing is a waste. So the article comes out and, um, I'm the, and it's a, and critics say, and it's half the articles, all my quotes. There's no critics. There's only me. There's all of these other people on the other side who say, this is a great idea. We should be doing this and all this stuff. I'm like, bullshit, never works. This is all science fiction. This is just clever, you know. And all this is doing is inching people closer toward um, blaming guns as the problem and a move closer toward, you know, diminishing the Second Amendment. Like, it's all horseshit. I mean, it's all garbage. And not that there aren't school safety things that are appropriate. I talk about those. But, um, I mean, so, yeah, it, that part really was was weird because um, I that was just on the way out there, like I said. But uh, no, I I really enjoyed. Thanks for everything at Mount Rushmore. I encourage it, and I know DT's you know not here anymore, but did that family trip, and um, we 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 had a lot to do. I mean, with everybody, um, you know, we picked out certain things, and it was it was great to go up to Mount Rushmore. The Badlands were awesome. Cool, you did hit the Badlands then. Oh, and when we hit the Badlands, we came in. It was um, like sixty degrees and raining when we came in, and then when we left, it was eighty-two and sunny, and it changed just as we had gone through like that. I mean, so it was, yeah, it was spectacular. And there was some kid who was like trying to like chisel out a stone or some fossil out of out of the one of the highly illegal, highly illegal, and and the parents are standing right there. Okay, and and whatever, and she's just whacking the hell out of this with some kind of you know like chisel type device, and she's probably like ten, and I'm like, holy shit, like that is wrong on so many levels. Like the parents not stepping in and saying, hey, like knock this off, like this, you know. Plus this is illegal, and plus this other stuff. But um, oh yeah, just just uh, the sun was coming out, and because it had rained, it really brought out the colors of the Badlands. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I felt that night when I went to bed was this massive um, regret that when I was 20 years old, I didn't get with my roommates who were like, you know, my best friends. We spring break together and everything that we just didn't take two weeks and go Badlands. I know, Cappy, like you've done and just like hike the hell out of it. Like, oh, I so miss that because taking I could, my daughter to give you routes, man, because I've gone across it like because you you did the rim, right? You went up on the yeah. top. You did the rim. Yeah. yeah. I've hiked straight through it, both north to uh, south and east to west. I, I would have, I would have done that, and I felt this this regret that night. So that's one of those things for people listening, you know, is check out these places like the Badlands, and you know, 
get together with a couple of friends and, and do it, whether you're 20 or 30. I mean, now it's, it's, you know, obviously much more difficult for me. And my oh, daughter. it's not. No, you're, you're what my age, maybe. No, I mean, physically older. I can do it physically. Yeah. I, physically I could do it, but like with my daughters, like my daughters, you know, they're, they're not hikers and stuff like that. And, and they don't even wear the appropriate sandals. Like, I'm like, damn it. Like we have to have whatever sandals, not the, <laughs> I'm like, we're going out to the badlands. This is something I should, we have to do for dad. You know what I should do? The problem, <clears throat> let me tell you the problem about South Dakota is uh, I have a hard enough time getting people to come out to like Vegas for a meetup, although we do manage to get some people. That's why I have to drive all the way to Leavenworth, you know, Washington to visit people because these people are too lazy to visit me. Um, but it would be really cool if I were to do like a super cappy capite meetup, it would be in the Badlands and the Black Hills. It's like, all right, you're all flying to, to Rapid City. And you're all bringing your hiking gear and we're doing some hardcore hiking shit. Like we are going to tear up the Badlands and the Black Hills and it'd be exhausting and taxing, but it would definitely be uh, an experience people would not forget. And um, probably have to do it in September. So it's not too hot and we don't have to pay like tourist prices because all the kids are back in school. But no, I'm glad you made it out. You made it out there. Did you make it through Spearfish Canyon? Drive through yeah. Spearfish Canyon? Good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the scenic uh, just loved it uh, completely. The only, we you know what we talked about, the only place we didn't get to was Nemo, um, but we got everywhere yeah. else. And I thought lead was really fascinating, you know, with the, with the old mining. Sure, uh, all the houses built up upon each other and everything. Yeah, yeah, and and we did the mining tour, and actually, it was this lady who, you know, she she was this um, elderly lady, and like her father was was a foreman in the mine, but she really knew all of the mine stuff because her brother was a miner and all of this. This, so you know, we're doing the mine and the mine tour, and uh, that was really good. Like I said, there were certain things I wanted to do for me, and some things I wanted to get my girls some awareness of other parts of the country and and doing some things, um, but. Uh, yeah, I I was I'm tired. I mean, I was tired with the with all the driving and stuff, and then coming back and doing that concrete project and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> cer- certainly, um, certainly, well worth it. And and it wasn't that busy. You know, it it wasn't even I, in I, June, I, really. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was busy, but it wasn't like crazy busy. One of, one of the things that irritated, or, or I was I was like Mitchell, South Dakota we stopped at because there's, there's this native American prehistoric site, which was, which was really cool. It's kind of got a dome over it. You can go in and they're doing excavations and stuff, but there's like a, a huge Best Buy and a Menards and all this shit that's been built out in Ruby Tuesdays and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, you know, this will never age like the downtown part of Mitchell or the downtown part of Rapid City or Deadwood, which only gets better with age. I mean, in 50 years, these will all be blighted shitholes that nobody will want to go to because they're all just thrown up and stuff like that, and they'll all be, be vacant. And so, I mean, I'm, I kind of like somebody out there told me this too. They they said, you know, we feel like we're kind of losing what the area is all about, like because of these buildups of of all of these, you know, things that are coming in, like the Best Buy on each side of town, and you know, the Menards and those types of things and just all of these um, townhouses and hotels and stuff like that going up, which I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but to me there was a certain feel like in lead and in, and in hot springs and stuff like that, you know, where you could just sense the, the especially hot springs, the 
um, you know, a huge brick that all of these buildings on Main Street were, were or not brick, but these stones that they were redstone, all built out yeah. of. Yeah, redstone and just how, how that was and how that would be in another 50 years. It'd be the same thing. And and it, it, it was just cool. It It's not really an opinion. Um, <clears throat> Beckloff and I, Chris laments ruse the uh, collapse of the mall, which you think about doesn't have that long of a history in the United States is basically from the sixties to the aughts. So it's a 40 year phenomenon on the mall. And there's still malls, you know, we got the mall of America and malls themselves formed in Minnesota. Cause it's too damn cold outside to have an open one. So yeah, like they, the, the super mall in Edmonton, you see that giant thing up there. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, but it's a natural evolution of the economy and what you're talking about, what you lament, because I had the same lamentations and, oh, gosh, we're losing Americana and blah, blah, blah. But especially motorcycle riding, uh, if you take different routes, you don't go on the interstate. But, like, I took 212 <clears throat> when I because I like the route a little bit better. You went nine, Highway 90. Right. And so there are towns along the way, but you don't see them because you drive past them and maybe you exit to go get gas or something like that. But, yeah, downtown Mitchell, downtown Sioux Falls. And – what you're seeing is in the olden days, um, you 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 had to have a town every almost 10 miles, maybe 12 miles, in part because that's where you'd have enough critical mass of farmers to bring their uh, crops to market to have it shipped off. And more specifically, because that's the amount of water that would be put in a steam locomotive engine before they have to have a water. And that's right. why you see water... Um, towers over the train tracks and so these towns sprouted up well you get diesel and then uh you get uh, electric uh, combines you don't need it it's not as labor intensive so these towns are dying but you have these beautiful buildings these beautiful downtown areas where like the bank has 1892 on on its cornerstone and i've actually come up with an idea to um capitalize on some of those old historic downtown areas, but I'm not telling anybody because I don't want someone to run with it, but I do only need a couple billion dollars. So if there's any investors out there, please let me know. Um, but that's, that's just the way it goes. And what, what you look at, it's kind of a, <clears throat> it's still a testament of good things because if you look what these things are being converted into, you go downtown they're um, they're being turned into coffee shops or restaurants uh, things that, you know, beforehand it was the hardware store, the fuel stop or whatever else, like actual hard labor. Now you look at them, they're either not occupied or there's something more artistic or fun or frivolous or luxurious, you know, uh, consignment shops and trinket stores and stuff like that. So the downtown area may not exist and be bustling like it was back in Mayberry days with, uh, with uh, Barney Fife and Andy Griffith. Um, but it is, I think they're going to be the future, and this has nothing to do with my idea, but I think those small American towns are going to be the future of retirement. I think um, with prices getting so expensive in the city. I uh, think you're already seeing that. Is it is it happening? Yeah, especially in Washington State. You, This has been actually a huge problem that's politically had ramifications, and we saw this with the 2016 election where there was the rural versus urban. You have a lot of people who in the rural areas have been struggling to, you know, have jobs or an economy for various reasons but then you have people retiring taking that money to their rural town in the middle of a very beautiful but maybe remote area and then they're able so on top of not having any jobs for the rural people they now have to compete with somebody coming in with a lot of money to buy houses and so you're seeing 
that issue become uh, problematic, and it and it's been revealed in some of the uh, election results um, in our state, at least, where some districts that have been voting one way for decades is now flipping over. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. It, it may turn around, but that's definitely one area my uh, my friends go fishing at. Uh, the the town's not a lot of jobs, but a lot of nice homes there. They're just not owned by the people who who grew up there or mm-hmm. or are living there. They're people who are retired. Don't get me about those Seattle homeowners who own their house and then they're going to go move and bid up housing prices. I hate those bastards. <laughs> well, well, you got so on top of that, you got the baby boomers. But what you really got is the whole Airbnb thing where somebody will buy a house and then they won't even rent it out long term for somebody in that area. They just Airbnb it every single night or as many nights as they can because they're gonna, they're just going to make more money. And it's an interesting discussion or debate to have because on one hand, it's it's their house. They get to do what they want with it. But on the other hand, it completely d- uh, destroys the what a lot of people would say the integrity. Well, it destroys the sense of community, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no sense of community cohesion at that point where – you know, someone automatically introduces that kind of business model to an area and it has all these uh, ancillary impacts on you know, society. And, or, and that's you know, kind of what zoning, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what zoning, you know, I, I, people can talk about zoning for, for hours on end, but the whole point of it is, is that you have businesses in areas that are appropriate for that business. You know, people will say, well, somebody can do whatever they want with their property in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Well, who wants to have a mechanic shop next to their house, you know, right next door, or tell me that if your neighbor was, uh, you know, was trashing their own property. Um, I mean, this is partly why we, I'm not a huge fan of the whole HOA thing, but there's a reason why they exist because what somebody does on their property next to you affects your value of your property, but it also affects the living standard and living quality of the neighborhood. And when nobody else in a neighborhood actually lives there, it almost, uh, the, the analogy I give is, where you had in Ireland for centuries, the Irish uh, ethnic Irish could not own land. They were legally not allowed to own their own land. So their landowners were all these English guys who lived in London. And so the, you kind of have that situation in some ways here where you have people who live a hundred miles away. They don't, they own the land. They, they don't live on it. So they rent it out to somebody else who, who has an even shorter time span of being on that property than somebody than say the Irish, because at least they lived on that land. Whereas in this situation, you have people who are just there for the night. So how do you think they're going to treat um, the neighborhood? You think yeah, don't get me started about those Irish people, man. No, I don't say that. Don't get me started about the Irish. What I'm saying is the Irish had no control over the land that they lived on because they didn't own it. So there was no – and the people who owned it didn't really – it wasn't like they had to compete with the Irish because the Irish were completely cut out of the Drunk. game. Oh, well, they, they were not allowed to own property. They weren't allowed to vote. So – there was no sense of fear that if I don't maintain this property, I'm going to lose it to somebody else or it's going to lose its value. And that's partly what, what caused the, the, the potato famine um, or blight is they just weren't taking care of the land because it was basically just theirs um, given to them. But going back to the whole uh, situation now, you kind of get that same feeling. Like imagine you're living on a street and you've got kids and all the houses around you are Airbnbs. And so there's just parties every other night oh. and your kids have nobody to play with nobody's in the school system and that, and that's what ends up happening is they end up just turning into a resort town for for rich people not even um, hot russian chicks are involved no russian chicks yeah 
I know, I know. It, that that's what it's all about. Well, anyway, guys, guys, can I just jump in here? There's a couple things I want to say. Just uh, on TJ's point, if anyone's interested in that, that little uh, tidbit of Irish history, uh, check out that film, The Field, which was kind of at the tail end of that when the Irish were finally allowed to uh, own property. Um, I can't remember when the movie was made, but Tom Berenger was in it, and um, God, I can't remember that uh, other guy. Yeah, I think he was uh, in Game of Thrones. I think he was. Uh, uh, oh, that English that's... actor with the accent. Um, yeah. It's, well, it's anyway. Ch- check it. Go, IMDb at the the field. Uh, it's a good movie, but it takes place, I think, in the I don't know, was it the 1920s or 1930s in Ireland? And uh, it's called the field. The guy was leasing it. That's what the Irish used to have to do. They used to have to lease the land from the English owners, the Protestants, where the Catholics were all fucked over. But anyway, it's okay with you guys. I'd like to just get the listeners involved a little bit because we yeah, let's, had enough let's, of let's the, do uh, that. We'll, we'll what, wrap it what, up. What, what, Go ahead. Uh, what, uh, what Dave has done on his summer vacation took a lot of time. Um, just just teasing, buddy. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Atham. Uh, all, all, uh, all the Kua says, uh, oh, don't go, he's, he's just a Mexican. You could ignore him. He doesn't <laughs> barely, uh, human, barely human. Uh, Fer- Fernando Covet says, uh, boycott Microsoft. They, they fund the democratic, the Democrats big time. They probably do. Oh. Um, uh, he also says, uh, Steve, ba- oh, Steve Bomber helped to fund, uh, Stagwell Group, which has acquired nearly one billion in marketing companies to help elect Dems. Nawful Coulomb. Uh, hey, I love this podcast. Do you think it's okay to unfriend people on Facebook who only talk politics? Yes. You get to do what you want to do. Get the fuck off Facebook is my yeah. <laughs> Um Let's see. Uh, clearly seeing the, le- the left uh, ramp up. Uh, Trumpians, federal employees, and admin staff are being tracked down, harassed, and confronted. Any suggestions as the activists increase resistance towards us? Um, I, I just bring mace. Mace is a nice medium. It's not a gun. It's not assault. It's usually typically used in defense. But I don't know. I, I don't go looking for trouble. I, have, I mean, if the SJWs come for me, they're in for a world of hurt. So just yeah, I would, I would kind of go with Aaron's suggestion there. Right now is not the time to uh, to go out and I mean, eventually they're gonna, you know, don't don't interrupt someone when they're, you know, Making they're they're fucking themselves up. You know, don't stop someone from digging their own grave. Let, you know, they're gonna be the ones that cross the line. Let them do something stupid. Right. But of course, right. be aware of your surroundings. Uh, be smart, and uh, if if you know, depending on what the uh, <clears throat> laws are where you live, be armed. But know what the know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I'd say no, do not go to political rallies, do not go to political protests, do not go to so waste of time. Well, so no, I wouldn't even say it's a waste of time. of time. It's it's you are giving them opportunities to not only confront you in a in a political situation, in a legal situation where the whole thing that they're gonna try and do is get close enough to you physically where they can get in a sucker punch or a blow, but you are still in a legally ambiguous spot self-defense wise because yeah, they're, they're cowards that's, that's but that's but that's their their mo and then if you present a threat and then of course they're all the, the antifa are all going to wear black so the moment he punches you or she or z or whatever they'll they run away yeah. no they're going to go run into the, the the black black block or black whatever and then they're going to try and you know you can get docs you can have all this horrible stuff happen to you because you attended this thing which is really not going to change anything like you, just don't give okay all right, all right all right all right we got it we got it none we're old my listener <laughs> is old 
TJ. We're not we're not going to go down to the well, local. I'm not talking. To, I'm talking. If we're talking to youngsters, you know, they get really amped up and they're like, "Oh, we're going to go change things and we're going to go out in the street and we're going to we're going to make the we're going to change the world for the better overnight." No, you're not waving signs. Well, that's, no, that's, that's, but that's nobody my point. wears pink pussy hats here. Nobody wears pink pussy hats. Right, but people. No, I mean, like, TJ just means like on on the right. I think uh, my, my opinion on this is I don't know if TJ agrees. Is is look the time isn't isn't here yet for us to uh you know go out and and you know forming well maybe form the militias but don't uh don't disperse them yet into action you know um stay it's time to stay bunkered in for a little while until uh, a clearer uh view of the terrain unfolds itself that's my um two cents let, them, let them come to you let the enemy come to you and be ready for them. That's that's all. And I think having Mace is a very good – you're not going to go to – well, okay, you might go to jail, but you're not going to get accused of a felony. <clears throat> Whereas a pistol or punching someone, you will. So Yeah, that's, right. that's a good thing. Mace is what, pretty – okay. What uh, else we got there, uh, John? Uh, Brian Wagner, uh, do you think the U.S. will um, will at the federal level will fix marijuana laws now that the FDA recognizes uh, the prescription drug? This is, uh, I don't think Aaron was in Washington, California land a while ago seeing it. <laughs> you could smell it. Uh, you literally could you'd be driving down like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm in this state. Um, I don't know. I think they're good. Trump at least will let it. He, I think he's been very libertine and states rights and that he lets the states handle that. So gay marriage, marijuana, I think. Let, I yeah, don't think Jeff, Jeff Sessions would like to round up and shoot everybody. He yeah. Needs, yeah. He cares about, but um, he needs he needs to chill out. Um, I, I think I don't know if there'll be a federal law passing it. I, I you know legalizing. I think it's just going to be one of those things that you know maybe eventually over time it'll be uh, what's the word uh, not legalized but um, decriminalizes. Oh. Um, I, I think like fat check. He'll do it like strategically in a way that he neutralizes anybody who might. Uh, it's the thing about him, it, uh, regardless of how you feel on a policy issue with him. He's pretty good at knowing when the right time to do something is that's going to neutralize and distract from something else that's going on. So he'll pick a moment when it's in his interest to drop that policy and have it dominate the headlines, um, particularly if he's like, you know, he's done something stupid or he's, he's run his mouth and he sees that it's costing him. He might drop it then. Um, I think it's going to happen at some point just because. Um, it's a good way to gain support because I think it's, the, the prohibition is not very popular anymore. Even people who don't like weed, it's like we're, we're wasting billions of dollars, you know, going after. It, it's a non-issue. I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. So, yeah. all right, what else, John? Who else is on the chat? Um, let's see. I'm trying to get to questions here. Uh, Thanks for doing this, by the way, John. I hey, no problem, man. Um, let's see. Anyone yelling at me for not seeing Doctor Strange? Uh, ver vertical farming is vertical farming is happening next. Um, let's see. Uh, small scale life says, "Ha! Check out my blog if you want to see really small scale one in action." I am about to record an accompanying podcast about it. I don't know if you guys know small scale. Yeah, life. no, I know he's a friend of mine. Yep, he runs a good website. Might as well give him a plug and a shout out. Small scale life if you're looking like uh, for farming and post apocalyptic uh, victory garden type stuff. Um, I hang out with him regularly. Actually, he lives out in the Twin Cities. So, uh, oh, cool! That's actually a cool name for what he's doing. Um, he's very, uh, very philosophical in his podcast, and it's he's like NPR. He's like, and hey, welcome to Small Scale Life. And today <laughs> we're going to talk about 
beans. Do you like beans? I like beans. And you're like, wow, maybe I like beans too. You know, maybe I'm really chilling out with the beans. But yeah, yeah, no, that voice, he'll, he'll have you. Um, Fernando Covet says, uh, th- that's why housing is so expensive in Canada, foreign money. Yeah, I can, I can attest yeah. to that. I've seen what they've done to uh, Vancouver, BC. Holy shit, the Chinese, my the God. The Chinese, yep, yep. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's a, that town is just one giant Chinatown, the whole city. Good. Um, they work. They're engineers. Fine with me. Uh <laughs> Um, I was watching a documentary on Asian investors swooping up real estate in New York City, killing off supply for yuppies. Well, that's not necessarily awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, what do you think about the RVers living? I hate them. Oh, my God. I could do, oh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was like, yeah, let's wind it down, blah, blah, blah. But no, um, <clears throat> RVers are not dumb on many levels. They're dumb on all levels. And I have very dear friends who are RVers that live in Colorado and he's rolling his eyes right. Cause we've gone through, um, it makes no sense on any level. Financially, you're paying way more in gas. You have to rent space. You have to, it, you might as well just get a hotel. They're costly. Just, just fly. Just get a car, go drive, stay at a hotel. It's cheaper. It's better. It's nicer. And RVs are a pain in the ass to drive. And then when I'm riding out west or in a car, um, they they just go slow. And it's it's by no fault of their own, uh, but they just go slow because there's more weight. And when you get into like a, a mountainous area, you're going over a pass, they'll block the traffic. They're dangerous. Their engines will blow out like uh, like Doc. You saw that guy with his right. truck uh, engine. Right. Yep. You know, he's trying to haul it. There was a road outside highway 16 outside of buffalo wyoming where i used to live and every time i go up to to go do a little bit of hiking up the mountain sure enough there'd be a truck with the trailer um just don't do it just don't no no rvs cappy capites do not do rvs we just don't uh because it's it's stupid and it doesn't make any sense at any level all right so no rvs uh, no rvs no <laughs> hate the mess uh where, where's the super chat you gobshites well it's coming apparently we just i don't know how many more uh uh, viewing hours we need. We are I, shy twenty thousand minutes. That's it. I was twenty thousand minutes. So, okay. Yep. We're all so like, share, and subscribe this, and we'll we'll have it. Maybe maybe my next week we'll have it up. If um, if anybody, so. let's let's do this. If anybody's listening, you really want to help out. One subscribe that helps out because Google has all these metrics that you need. Blah blah blah. The other thing is just even if you've listened to the podcast or if you haven't, throw it on and watch it. Because that counts as minutes. Um, we only need 20,000 more. I think we'll blow through that uh, starting next week so I can monetize. Then we can have the Super Chats. So, yes, you'll all be able to give me more money. Um, yeah, and then I'll, then I'll actually uh, be, I'll be – I'll have to read these things. Then you now. almost have to, yeah. <laughs> I'll no, be again, forced I'll, to because it's going to pop up on the screen. I'm going to have to do it. No, and I and I got to – you know, like it's always an evolving process. And, you know, the this is an embryonic uh, podcast and oh, – there's always growing pains, but um, yeah, we got to, I'm, I'm getting more and more aware, especially with the live stream, why Beckloff and other people have a, a producer. Like you got to keep on. So yeah, we'll be able to answer the uh, the live chats or the super chats or whatever it is, but that'll be coming probably very most likely next week. So I got to apply for um, monetization. You know, Google, it could, you know, it could be a yeah, week. Yeah, we'll do the monetization now. So then uh, the way it works is then you'll be all set for the Super Chats once you reach their proper uh, analytics. Right, right. But it, it, who knows? Google could take a week or two to get back to me. Say, oh, yeah, we we sent you to the reward of viewers. And even though you're not Karl Marx, we're going to approve you anyway. <laughs> uh, 
our Karl Marx rem- remedy program, and yeah, I, it's you're all, slightly you're slightly to the right of Marx, so uh, maybe it's right going to take an extra couple of weeks. Yeah, um, wayward hero asks. Uh, guess my question is, how will immortality affect future society for possible multiple multiple app multiple billionaire freely moving around? I'm not really sure what um, he's asking. Yeah, I mean, that interesting question. I mean, we could spend too much time kind of thinking about that. Um, be worth pondering, I suppose. But we're kind of wrapping up now. That's kind of a, that's kind of a deep one. That's kind of a deep question. Yeah, right. let's 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 have that towards. Um, the How about uh, this? You know what? Megan, Megan, email yeah. me if you guys got more ponderous questions. Just email to because that's the problem with the chat is I gotta distract myself from it to go. But if you have some questions, you guys know where I am. Go to assholeconsulting.com. Shoot me an email. Um, you know, if you got if you got a, a serious, don't send me. Some dumbass shit. Just send me if you got a real. <laughs> don't, don't clog up his email box. Don't clog up my email box with dumb shit. I got I like a girl. Da, da, da. I'm gonna charge you for that. But if you have a more esoteric philosophical question, that's podcast worthy. Send it over there. Yeah, because you know he's hard enough for us to deal with as it is. I mean, he doesn't have the nicest temperament, so we don't want him any more assholey than Gary. Yeah. So yes. you know, come on. Um, let's see. Uh, does Cappy have a crush on Mary Jane Watson? Uh, she is a redhead. Mary Jane Watson. Let's look that girl up. Hang on. Give me a second here. Well, what the hell? Oh, Firefoxes. God damn it. Really? <laughs> Honest <laughs> to God. Updating now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Steve. All right, well, we'll put that question on Wait, wait, wait. Hold Mary hold Jane, what? Watson's Watson. redhead, chances are Cappy's hey, in love. Let me take a look yeah, here. I think so. <laughs> um, is this a cartoon character or a human? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a, no, Mary this Jane Watson. The he's the, he's yeah, the redhead. The backlog is rolling over in his grave right now. <laughs> Comic he's like, folks. Oh, this is Spider-Man's girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, I thought this was an actress. I, I Well, yeah, I guess so as far as redheads go. Or fictional comic book characters go. I mean, <laughs> as much as any... you can have a crush on a fictional comic book character, yeah, as much as I can, I, then... I'll take Poison Ivy any day over uh, <laughs> over Mary Jane. I like the bad girls, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would not if Aaron went into like, uh, ah, John, what was that? Doc, you might know this. TJ, you were you were you didn't have pubes then. Um, what was the name? Cool World. You guys remember that movie, Cool World? It was half cartoon. It predated hmm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't remember. Think I, saw cool. I, saw, I remember Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That yeah. was epic at the yeah, time. Cool, that was pretty cool. Cool World, I think, predated it, and it made that jump between cartoon and, and real world, but uh, it doesn't matter. All right. What else we got? Okay. Um, uh, Brian Wagner says, uh, nanotech uh, could be that boom for the health industry. Uh, yeah, Maybe. Maybe. Um, it, look, it's pretty cool in Star Trek, the next generation. Next. Uh, small scale life says, thanks for the plug, lads. Uh, I'm definitely not NPR. Uh, might have to roll on. <laughs> yeah, tune into him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not NPR. <laughs> let, me, let me bust his balls a little bit because that's what I do with people I like. So you'll tune into him. And I swear to God, I'm like, look, dude, I don't want to mention his name because I, I want him to keep anonymous. You know, he's got family and all that. But I'm like, dude, don't tell people what you're going to tell them because what he'll do is like, today we're going to talk about plants. Plants, are they green? Are they brown? What are they? Do they come out of the ground? And then I'm going to talk about this. And I'm like, dude, just tell us. Don't tell us you're going to tell about. Well, now the guy's got thousands of listeners 
And I, I realized that maybe I'm not the only person on the planet and there might be people with different tastes and preferences. So he's got a actually really good, but yeah, it's a totally zenning out, meditative, chilled NPR voice. So you can listen well, to well, Aaron, you- This might be good for you. You know, this, this might calm you down a no, little bit. No, I, I do not need to be calmed down. I am a <laughs> specialist. I have a role in life. And it is my anger and frustration and rage and hatred that got me this far. And the frustration and rage will continue until I'm dead. And I'm not, what do you want me, doped up on Ritalin or some kind of lobotomy dope? I mean, that- no, I, I love you the way you are, but, you know, that's me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a Northeast, uh, you know, New York guy. I don't know. Right. You know. <laughs> right. We'll let, we'll let small scale life be small scale life, which is hello and welcome to small scale life. And I'll be like, fuck it, fell the foul, foul, fell the freaking foul. Cappy's going to be Cappy. Cappy's uh, going to be Cappy. All right, what else we got? Uh, Nawful uh, Kulam as uh, uh, you mentioned that it's pointless to try and help people. What could a college student, accounting major, uh, do to actually help and not just make myself feel good? Like he wants to help people? Like out of altruism or what? Well, he doesn't expand on it, but I mean, huh. let's let's assume the benefit. Like you know, he wants to you know to do something good. He, he he's uh, he's young, idealistic. He's a he's a college student. That here the best the best thing he could do is support himself. If everybody just took care yeah. of themselves, the only people that would have to be taken care of would require would be like you know the generally mentally disabled or physically handicapped. Um, I mean, that's that's the number one thing you can also- do. It also depends on um, what the help look like looks like. Like if it's just talking to somebody who needs some, like I guess some encouragement on something that they're dealing with, or somebody who's struggling to just like they're they're being given false information about something. Um, they're just buying into some sort of social myth, and you just point out, you tell them the truth. You don't you don't lie to them like everybody else does. That's one way of helping them. But another thing that I would I would caution young people. Um, kind of like what you're just saying, Cappy, to to focus on improving yourself, but also don't waste your time on people who will not respect the effort that you put in to help them. You know, you uh, charge them. Point. Like, yeah, like point the, whole point of, the whole point of Cappy's consulting firm is that people have got to show that they got skin in the game, um, that they actually do want to change and they want to improve themselves. So people have to show that they're going to respect you um, when you spend time and energy to help them out, no, it's like, not even that. I, well, I just want the money. I really just, no, no, no. I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying for, for people who want to help out, but also what do you want to help them accomplish? And are they actually interested in that? And if they're not able to show that, then don't waste your time. Um, and I would also add just as a final note, accept the fact that most people don't want to change the problems in their lives that they are going out and seeking help on. They, they are not going to actually change. Even when you present them, this is something that uh, Cappy and I were talking about when he was over at my house. A lot of people will be told, this is what you need to do to change. They will nod their head. They will say, yes, I know, but they will not change it. Absolutely. It's the way the world is. And it's, we can be cynical about it or we can just say, okay, this is how it is. Let's target those who actually are going to be that rare uh, people who will make that change. I, I would also add at, if you're in college, you don't have time to be helping out other people. You, yeah. you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself, pay off your debts, get out, get out there. And <clears throat> it's not worth it. It's just charge. Yeah, well, Gamesmithy uh, suggested he, uh, that he uh, learn a trade in your off time and <laughs> donate your skills. Well, that's assuming this guy's got any off time. He's probably he's a college student, uh, assuming right. full time, and probably like most of us has a part time job. 
Um, if he's listening to listening to our podcast, he's probably got his shit together. Um, so, but I think that's not. A, I think learning the trade, learning a trade like a hands-on trade, is a good idea just for anybody at any age. Yeah, barter for blowjobs. Girl wants her oil change or car breaks down. All right, here's what's yeah, going Yeah, ask gas or cash. You know. Look, I'd have to pay for your dates anyway. Dad, let's just cut through the bullshit. Do you want your car to roll or not? Oh, oh that's <laughs> another thing I would add. Whenever uh, a girl's just randomly for no reason compliment you, just expect them to assume. Ask. <laughs> assume that they're going to do something. Um, they're going to ask for your help in some way. Just be prepared. It's I love happen. how TJ gets these epiphanies. It's like, hey, did you know girls do things to get stuff out of you? I was like, yes, wow. TJ. We. We've known. Well, no, no, I'm today. talking about young. Okay, again, we're talking about young men here. We're like, oh, she must really like me. No, she's. Yeah. <laughs> no, she wants something from you. Is what she yeah. wants. Yeah. It, <laughs> you know, going back, going back to the the guy, um, the accountant major. You know, yeah. another thing I think is um, sometimes just just be real. Be the member check if someone is going. You know, if if you're in accounting, someone is going to you and asking some questions now. You know about what the hell is this Mori loan rate or whatever on a car or something like that, or some financial stuff, like just be, be honest back. Um, was, you guys remember, um, hearing about Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, Harvey Firestone, John Burroughs, um, between 1915 and 24, these guys just went out on camping trips, like together and, yeah. and basically busted each other's balls about whatever, but it was member check. They were honest with each other. And, and that was something where no one is honest today. They're they're not willing to do that. So sometimes like people like, hey, you know, what's your opinion on this? I mean, Kathy, you give that out. But if, if if this guy's area of expertise more or less is in accounting and someone is asking some questions or whatever and saying, or like, hey, my parents are, you know, going through whatever is there anything I should be looking up on the Internet or getting familiar with, like be absolutely honest. I mean, that's the point where you're re- not representing yourself as what you are is like, you know, if you're not a CPA or anything, but. That that whole member check thing, I think all of us can do. We can do that with people if they come to us. It's just as yeah, no, I, I would agree with, with, with the caveat that is we're we're living in different times right now, and there is more to lose by being brutally honest. So you might have to temper that with the uh, current yeah. age that we live in. But yes, I totally agree with um, that advice. <laughs> um, uh, Atham, uh, Atham says, "I think small scale life rocks. That's what we are we are going to do." All right, yeah. Um, uh, Michael Puza asks, uh, "Will will you have other guests on the podcast in the future?" Well, Captain. Yes, yes. The um, uh, one of the main things, like I said, there's always growing pains, and you want to get the podcast stabilized. So we're going to do like maybe ten podcasts. We'll get it down. We're, we're getting into our rhythm now. Uh, but I do want to in, uh, invite specialists. I'm going to do interviews with groups of people that uh, have expertise in certain fields. I don't know if you guys ever watch uh, Engineered Truth, Matt Tran's channel. Uh, and you guys ever watch him? No, uh, I, it sounds like something I'd be into, though. Right, right, yeah, no, smart guy. But he'll, like, for example, he'll he'll have a chemical engineer on, say, what's chemical engineering like? He'll have a, a, a cop on. What's it like being a cop? Uh, mine are going to be more panel-like and um, a little bit more philosophical, and that's what career-oriented. But, for example, I'm going to get women in STEM. You know, because even though we don't have a lot of female listeners, but I want to talk to women in STEM, say, how did you do it? Blah, blah, blah. Thoughts, you know, something productive, you know, like an older brother. Because I know the shots, you guys, I don't know everything. I know most things. I don't know everything. I know. I know. Um, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. But I would like to have, you know, people, you know, and the doc, I have like 
three whole separate episodes I'd like to interview the doc on because he sent me a bunch of uh, topics. Well, you could have like, one with me and the doc on because actually my major in college was actually security management. Really? Okay. I, yeah. I, no. And, and, and we got to do that sometime, John. We got to set that up. Yeah. No. And I've I've done I've done executive yeah. protection. I've dealt with uh, women with stalkers and and all that. I was a privacy consultant. I, oh, that was all back in the nineties, though. But if I, you know, TJ I, should write a film noir book about you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no, I got to. Oh yeah, I got to talk to. I got to. Yeah, I got to. You got to stay on the line after over. I got a couple of questions for uh, both of you. Okay. Uh, Atham says uh, testosterone is dropping at alarming levels. Stop. Uh, stop talking about comics. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever? Well, I guess not, none of you met Atham, but you guys know Atham, right? Kind of. I don't know him from no. your podcast. He's, he's yeah. a fun, yeah. I always give him guff because I say Atham looked this up. I forgot somehow where he was asking me questions about geography or something like that. But no, he's a buddy of mine. He lives out near Lake Tahoe, and uh, I just I, I, I visit him occasionally and I bust his balls. That's all. So he's he's a good guy. Oh, uh, like spelunker. A he's a spelunker. He's like into caving. Huge uh, philosoph- uh, philosoph- uh, philosopher, economics. Like he reads a lot of books. He's read more books than I've written. Um, but yeah, just a cool guy you'd want to hang out with. If, you, if a guy called Adam says, hey, I'm coming to town. Can I hang out? Say, yeah. All right, cool. Even though um, he's a no good, dirty Mexican. But, you know, <laughs> charity and affirmative action, that kind of stuff. Uh, Fernando says, Brian may want to check out Singularity FM with uh, Nikola uh, De- De- Danilov. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Athens calls you a Sith Lord. I think he meant that as a compliment, though. Um, are we got any questions up, or is it just me and Athens uh, going oh, back? Yeah. Uh, could the podcast host an audience call in as one as a one off episode? That we, might be we, something we might, yeah. I mean, like I said, baby steps at first. Um, we got it, we get this down first and manage it, but yeah, inevitably, I wouldn't mind having callers come in. Uh, but that's definitely where a producer comes in, and they gotta bring uh, Mick people. Mictel says, uh, "What do you think would happen if prostitution was made legal?" Well, you can just check out that uh, check out Vegas or well, Nevada, yeah, not Vegas. nothing, nothing would happen. It's all legal. Um, uh, well, yeah, well, okay, that's it for the questions, guys. Sweet. Cool. Um, and I didn't get to tell you about my Fight Club making uh, my, my making Fight Club soap, but maybe next episode. Let's do that next because I do. I mean, it, it's it's good we have great conversationalists because I want to talk about that clarinetist. Will you guys hear about that? No, the no. kid who got accepted to like some great clarinetist school and was going to study under oh, yeah. the greatest clarinetist, and then his girlfriend faked a rejection oh, letter. Oh, or oh yes, forty thousand dollars scholarship. She tossed it in the garbage. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, she actually wrote. She wrote uh, his his uh, declining it. She wrote an Oh, email I didn't know it. that. Oh, wow. oh yeah. No, we'll, we'll, go into, we'll go into that because there's a lot to learn. But we'll do that next week. Yeah, but, that's yeah, a lot we'll, to learn for you, young guys, about the dangers of women. Oh, there um, are so many lessons. And the ruthlessness of it. All right. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you guys want to uh, – because we're going to have to round this. We're going to have to end this, guys. We're running out of time here, man. We've gotten long. We're not running out of – no, we're not – look, we're not DT and the man. We're not the <laughs> – we're not Bernard Chapin. We're, it has to be 53 minutes, and then we have to end. It would go as long as we want. Speaking of people asking for advice and me giving it and then them not listening. Um but what was I gonna say? All right, let's get through the let's get through this stuff. Um, there are 33 people listening now. Like the podcast, go click on the thumb. All of you can do that right now. Subscribe if you want. That's cool. 
We have links. They'll be posted down below, but the main ones would be assholeconsulting.com, olderbrother.com, and then patreon.com slash Aaron Clary. And then the links down below if you want to do all your online shopping to help finance me because I do not like taking charity, but I'll take it. If you force money down my throat, I'll take it. But if you do all your Amazon shopping, please do it through my Amazon affiliate program. Uh, next week, we should have Super Chat up. Should be monetized. There'll be a little bit of growing pains with that. We'll have to figure out how it plays into the into the deal. And then I want to talk about Turd Flagging Monkey talking about sex bots. Not that I'm into um, internet drama, but I just love the people who think sex bots is what's going to save the world. Um, I think that's it. All right, Doc, where are you at so people could come visit you? Check out safetyphd.com, safetyphd.com. Cool. Uh, John. Uh, you can find me uh, Twitter at John underscore Steel 99 and uh, John Steel Show on YouTube. Are you uh, going to put that awesome voice of yours to use and start doing more podcasts and shows? Or am I the last person you interviewed and had to show with? No, I'm going to be setting up an appointment with uh, TJ as soon as we go off air to uh, set up an appointment. Good, good. TJ, do you do anything? Are you are you active online? Do you do stuff? I do, do. No, I just play video games. Good. Good. You catch small <laughs> fish. <laughs> but if you're interested, you can go to tjmartinell.com. I'm going to I have all my um, book stuff there. You can also go to my podcast, a weekly podcast, uh, soundcloud.com/tjmartinell and then also um, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com/tjmartinell. Good. All right. Hey, and TJ, it was great to see you. Um traveling there uh, out to Seattle. I finally got back to the Twin Cities and uh, finally had time to sit and relax. It was really cool. Thanks for hosting me. John, oh, sorry good. sorry, I missed you, man. I would have loved to meet up with you, but we'll we'll get you next time. And Doc, I will be coming to Wisconsin uh, relatively soon, but we'll, uh, we'll have to meet up along the interstate there somewhere. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so. All right. We'll see you guys later. Two.